Hi, folks. I thought we would get uh, going with our little a program for this luncheon, which uh, has been going along quite nicely. Um, uh, we've got all kinds of visitors from, um, we've got visitors from Brazil and Germany and, of course, Canada. And um, we're, uh, this is a great group, and I'm so pleased that we uh, are all together right now and, um, and for uh, a presentation by Rick Boggs, followed by our audio description awards to be presented by Chris Gray, who's a former president of ACB and uh, chair of our awards committee. But um, I want to take a minute to embarrass, I mean, uh, introduce uh, my very good friend, Rick Boggs. Uh, and I have projected on the screen behind me, Rick didn't know I was going to do this. I pulled this off the net, a picture of Rick Boggs there. He, you know, what, is that a sly grin? Is that a good description of that he's got on his face? Wearing dark sunglasses in a suit and tie. He's a very corporate type these days. I don't know what that's about. But um, uh, Rick Boggs is the American Council of the Blind Audio Description Project 2016 conference keynote speaker. I've known Rick for a long time, and um, we're, um, you know, great lovers of audio description and specialists in audio description, but we're just good friends, too, because I think something we realized a number of years ago is that uh, audio description, the world of audio description is still relatively small, and there's no room for kind of rivalries and backbiting and such, and uh, Rick and I really bonded over that notion. Uh, at times when, you know, people were, you know, not, not wanting to hear what I had to say, and, and Rick was going through the same sort of thing, and we bonded that way, and I'm so glad uh, we did. He's the, uh, uh, with his uh, lovely wife, Amber, his, uh, he's uh, a parent of three kids, four, six, and eight now. You got it. I remember visiting them when the eight-year-old, just shortly after the eight-year-old was born. Yeah. But... Rick, right now, is the founder and general manager of Audio Eyes. You have a, uh, a bio in, in your program, so I'm not going to repeat a lot of that. But um, he really is a leader in making audio production tools accessible for audio professionals with vision loss, but all aspects of audio description. You heard a bit about that yesterday when he presented on a panel. But it, it, it really is, he is... Um, He's not a jack of all trades. He's a master of all aspects of audio description, from the writing, as a as someone who can listen to description and know. I think I'm missing something. Whatever. And he's taught other people, other audio description consumers, to do that so skillfully. As an audio editor, as a voice talent, this guy. Aren't you an After SAG member? Yes, sir. Yeah, there you go. He's a colleague After SAG member of mine. So he's a voice talent as well. He, he, and, and he does all of those things so well, and he's communicated it to so many describers uh, around the, the, the world. And um, I must say, what I admire most is his ability to and his insistence on his commitment to making audio description something that is of the consumer's. So he knows that audio description can be something where the consumers must, should, and can be involved. 
in consulting on scripts, in doing the audio editing. Chris Snyder works for him, no, no relation, but he is a blind man who is probably the best audio editor that I've ever had the pleasure to meet. Um, and, and voice talents as well. People who are blind, uh, reading from refreshable braille or, 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 or hard copy braille or however. Um, it, it, it has been so great to see that happen. I could go on and on, but I'm not gonna because he's got some wonderful things to say and I wanna hear from my friend Rick Boggs. Rick. Thank you, Joel. You bet. It's good to have friends like Joel Snyder who will say a lot of nice things about you uh, in front of a lot of people. And, uh, you know, the feeling is mutual. I mean, I know you guys have tremendous respect for Joel and his contribution to uh, audio description, uh, not only as a writer, but as an advocate for quality of description and for an advocate for the inclusion of professionals who are blind in the description process and someone who uh, trains audio describers and, and you know, waves the flag of this is a professional trade. This is not an, uh, you know, an after school job that you do uh, uh, for a couple of pennies when you get out of high school while you're waiting to do some, you know, get into a college. Uh, Joel elevates uh, this profession at every corner uh, to a, a professional trade uh, worthy of uh, uh, organization, worthy of a living wage, worthy of uh, respect in the community, and uh, we, we thank him for that, and that's why it's you know appropriate that he's in the position here at the Audio Description Project that he is, and uh, it's and it's true. He and I did, you know, it's like he said, it was a, it was a bond over. I remember we're kind of raising my hand, so to speak, if you will, uh, both at a conference uh, and also in an online forum saying, you know, the, this industry, which at the time was even much smaller than it is now, and I'm gonna talk about uh, the industries, uh, where we're at and where we're going, but I was saying this industry would benefit from some kind of a professional trade association, some kind of, a, of a, an association or a, a practice of getting together and discussing uh, how we can make the pie, if you will, the market for description bigger or best practices from a technical perspective, or we could find things that we, that overall everyone could benefit from if we would get together and talk about it. <laughs> I naively at the time thought that that would be a welcome idea. And the only one who said, yes, I, I like that, it was Joel. And I raised the flag again another time and tried to say that. And again, the only voice was, I agree, we should really do that. And so Joel and I just said, well then, you know what, you and I will get together and we'll talk about it. <laughs> and, uh, that's how the, the friendship was, was formed. And now, now, uh, and this is kind of a good segue into uh, this little presentation, which I uh, refer to as the future of audio description and our role in it. Um, really, things are changing, and there is more of an air of collegial uh, discussion and cooperation, I think, the real concrete beginning of that uh, occurred a few years ago, three, four years ago, at the Video Description Research and Development Center uh, at the Smith-Kittlewell Institute of Research in San Francisco. Um, Joel and I were both uh, members of the uh, Description Leadership Network that was created there, 
along with representatives of other major producers of description uh, in the country. Consumers weren't especially aware that this was going on, and my, uh, my little presentation today is going to uh, kind of rock back and forth between two perspectives. The perspective of the consumers, like myself and many of you who, meaning blind people or people who use description uh, to understand what's on the screen, as well as the perspective of producers, meaning not the producers who produce films necessarily, but people who create description. And from those two perspectives, uh, I'm going to uh, kind of, I hope you'll join me in, in looking at very briefly kind of where we were at a glance sort of where we are today and where might we be five years or 10 years from now. And uh, you know, my knowledge comes from a, a wide variety of sources. Um, my own uh, background goes into the 90s, not quite far as back as Joel's, but I was uh, a, a spokesperson, if you will, um, uh, certainly the, the face of uh, the, the WGBH um, description program in those days called Descriptive Video Service, now a media access group. Um, I helped promote the service and, and arrange for uh, focus groups, blind people to, to show up at new installations of uh, systems in theaters and for people to be interviewed by the media. I was interviewed by the media. In fact, I, uh, they asked me to deliver a 10-minute presentation on, on a national television show to explain how it works and what the value of it is, and along with Kathy Buckley, who spoke on the, on the captioning side of things. So that was sort of my beginning of it. And we had audio description conferences in the 90s. And you know, in those days, there was the only description there was, really, uh, was your friend sort of whispering to you at the theater, or your friend, uh, your family describing the photos in the family you know, photo album to you. It was, and I will say uh, you know, today that the days of friends providing what I call personal description will never be over. There's, it's a style. It's a type of description. And I'm going to talk about the changes that we anticipate that we might be seeing in the, in, in the future. And some of those changes include new styles or types of description, which I've just named one, you know, personal description as I would call it, you know, just one-on-one. -on -one. Sometimes we call it extended description, but that has another technical meaning these days. Um, so, uh, you know, Joel comes from the time when uh, description, we didn't even, no one ever even knew if it could even be used on television until uh, Jim Stovall and, and friends uh, tested it in, in uh, Tulsa in 1989 or whenever it was, and proved that it could be done, and they won an Emmy appropriately, an, an Emmy Award, received an Emmy Award for that uh, a comp technical accomplishment. And then we go through the 90s when it's available on public TV, but mostly the, most of the growth was in live description. And uh, my background and experience and expertise uh, is not so much in live description, though as a consumer I've heard a, an awful lot of it, as many of you have. But so how do I end up being, remember I, I'm talking about audio description and our role in it. And when I talk about that now, I'm gonna talk about my role and I'm going to talk about your role, the ACB's role 
in description now and in the future. So uh, how do I end up in a position of being very knowledgeable about the industry as a whole, the description of who's producing it, how they're doing it, where it's coming from, what shows they're doing, how much of description is available out there. And now I'm talking about description media, video description, because that is the area, uh, that was my point of contact with description and continues to be my focus. So I talk about uh, uh, you know, video or, or media description, if you will. Um, It's okay. I just. I'm sorry. No, I think I think I could. I have a feeling. Yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can get. There we go. In fact, I can do this. No problem. Sorry about that. Yeah, you guys should have mentioned something sooner. So I'll start over. Okay. So Joel and I. <laughs> okay. So how do I end up in a position being someone who is very knowledgeable about the industry as a whole? Who is producing description? Uh, how much description is being produced? Uh, what, you know, what are the rates? What's the technique that's being used? So on and so forth. And, and yet, being a, a blind consumer who happens to be aware of all of these things and who knows technically how do, does it, are the scripts written? How, do they, uh, how are they double-checked for accuracy? How are they voiced and recorded and delivered? And how does all that work? How do I end up being uh, a blind guy who runs a description production company and, and has all this kind of information? People say, well, how did you end up in that scene? Well, I wish I could say it was because I was um, so insightful and clever and I had this great plan for my career and I followed it exactly and it just worked out that way. You know. But it wasn't. It, uh, as many things, you're right place, right time with the right stuff and things happen. Um, because of my experience promoting description in the 90s, uh, I became familiar with the people that were working in it at the time, and I became involved. At, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of history there you know, uh, with a lot of the people that were involved early, and so I've got sort of industry knowledge that way. But uh, I was already a proficient uh, you know, professional audio engineer, uh, in, with analog gear in 1987, and then, as Joel mentioned, I have a background in and was really quite critical in, in uh, making sure that when audio production became a digital process, I wanted to make sure that blind engineers were not left out. There were blind audio engineers in the analog days, many of them, and as audio became digital, it was, are we going to lose access to the tools? And I had to make sure that it was still possible to record and edit and mix as a blind engineer. And I, and I did that. So uh, when some friend of mine in captioning asked me why I don't use my recording studio, I was producing records during the 80s and 90s, and they said, well, why don't, you know, you're promoting this stuff and you have the tools to do it, so why aren't you doing it? And I thought to myself, I don't know why I'm not doing it. So I changed the way my studio was arranged and got into this business. Now, my, my role as a description producer uh, will, has kind of uh, evolved and, and sort of became an option that I decided to, to experiment with. Now that role is modified a little bit because I'm a producer with the ability to hire whom I wish and to train whom I wish. 
And one thing that I noticed in the industry that, that wasn't happening was no blind people were involved in description. And a lot of you work in different kinds of uh, jobs. Um, and I, I was saying to Kim Charlson earlier that I love what she does because she's a leader of a large organization uh, responsible for managing dozens of people, uh, monitoring lots of processes of diverse natures, uh, and coordinating uh, uh, efforts with that are, that are both government-related and private industry-related. She's basically defying the common perception of blindness and blind people that is still persistent in society and that every survey suggests that is what the number one thing that blind people say is the, the greatest barrier, not uh, you know, technology, not you know, transportation, although those things can be bothersome, but societal attitudes are the number one thing that prevent us from, from becoming gainfully employed. And I was telling to her, I was saying, that's, that's my favorite thing about what you do is that it, it's just, just by going out and doing what you do it begins to redefine what, what people believe blindness is and what blind people can do. I try to do the same thing in my own work. I have, I, have, I think, 18-ish, around 18 uh, staff members that do description writing, description quality control processes, audio, uh, let's see, voiceover performance, um, and uh, audio engineering, editing, mixing, uh, and, and uh, technical systems management, archiving, trafficking, you know, uh, where you've got to do all the scheduling of all these production processes and client communications. You've got to you know, manage expectations and address problems and all that sort of thing. And sales and negotiating you know, rates and contracts and all that sort of stuff. So I just felt like blind people should be involved and should the doors to these kinds of jobs should be open to blind people and that description as an industry ought to be an industry that has a high percentage of employment for blind people and in all of these positions. Um, because after all, the service was created for us. I'm always amused, by the way, when clients uh, will send me notes. You know, Sometimes they have what they call script review. The client wants to see the script before they allow you to record it and deliver it. And we'll submit our scripts. And I love it when I, in a kind of love-hate kind of way, uh, when I get notes back from my clients with telling me what we should say and not say and you know, changing things. And they give me these little notes that say, remember, blind people need X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. Or what blind people want to know is blah, blah, blah. Or the blind people won't know if you don't tell them blah, 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 blah. I am always amused, you know, and... And these are clients that know full well who I am. I negotiate, you know what I'm saying? We got, so I'm thinking they just aren't thinking this through, you know? They're getting a little stuck in their confidence in their work. I'm glad they're confident in what they do, but uh, step back a second. And, you know, uh, and, and you'd be surprised that how that can, um, my position as a very experienced uh, consumer and a proficient producer uh, who is blind how my blindness can both be an asset as well as a barrier in, in this work. Because on the one hand, the people who really want to know, they want to have confidence that, you know, frequently this, I'll say that the independent filmmakers are the ones that are the most like the way I'm, I'm the, the characters I'm, I'm talking about now, where they just 
want to know that it's done well and it's done right. It's like, are you sure? Because this is, you know, I put my life and blood into this film. It's really great, whatever. But I don't really understand what you guys do that much. And I want to know that this is going to be done well. Well, when I can, my uh, authority as a, as a consumer uh, helps those people feel more confident. But there are other times uh, when I deal with pro- producers, um, which are more commonly TV show producers, um, where the intrinsic authority of just being a blind person and able to say, yes, well, this is what I need or what I don't need as a consumer, really bothers them because it threatens their authority over the vision of their program. And so we have this little unspoken tete-a-tete sort of battle of like, well, this is my show and it's my vision and I want it to sound the way I want it to sound. And I'm like, well, this is description, which is an accessibility feature. And if you want blind people to understand your program and not be offended by you being so patronizing and turning it off, you might want to pay attention to my notes, right? Now, they laugh because they, too, turn off description sometimes. Yeah, some audio describers aren't aware of that. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, I can name exact shows that I will not listen to the description. They're like, you got to be kidding me. There we are, right? I won't ask for a show of hands that way, you know. But um, so, okay, so let me, let me get to the crux of this, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up. But I, had to, I wanted to give kind of some context here so you know uh, where, I'm, where I'm coming from. Um, in a nutshell, we are at a really exciting time in the history of description. Um, and again, I will get to our role in it. But you have to understand where we are in history right now. Um, and without me giving the whole lengthy history of it, uh, you can find a lot of that stuff in Joel's book and, on, and online, right? So, um, yeah, I, I encourage you to read it. Um, we are at what some business people would call the front end of an explosion phase uh, curve in the growth of the market as a whole. The market meaning if you take the sum of all description that's produced. And again, I'm focusing on video description, but really it's parallel to description in general. One thing feeds the other. But I'll focus on, on media. Um, if you look at... Let me just show them my stats. So... Um, the regulations for description that were created way back in 2002 and that we uh, basically insi- uh, the, the amount of description offered on broadcast television, if you will, now, and I'm going to include cable and everything. Anything you can get on your TV, you know, over the air, over cable. Um, all of it put together, every show that's broadcast with description in a year, if you add all those hours together, it's only a little over 2,000 hours a year that is broadcast with description. It was that way in 2002, 03, 2012, 2013, 14, 15, and it will be this year. Only a little, little over 2,200 hours of description, which when you consider the whole broadcast schedule, right, of all those 150, 250 channels on your TV that have 24-hour programming, it's a tiny little fraction. The current uh, expansion that the FCC is proposing, um, that is about two or three years too late, um, would would increase the annual amount of description available via television to a little over 3,800 hours. So from 2,200 hours to 3,800 hours, something like that. Um, 
again, some people might be impressed. Oh, that's a, you know that's almost fifty percent more. Yeah, we've been stuck at this twenty two hundred hours since two thousand two. I mean, we've been sitting there for a long time. In a lot of those years, there was a lot less than that. From 04 to 2011, there was almost none. So, you know, so that's kind of where we are. But, but, the, here's the, the important part. The expansion in the market in terms of, and again, I've already defined that, how much description is produced in a year. The expansion of that from year to year, if you're looking at business charts, was percentages that you could count, you know, less than 10%. Oh, this year is a 2% increase over last year, or 3%, or, you know, whatever. It was low-digit percentages of growth in each year, even from 2011 to 2012, 2012, 2013, like that. However, where we are now is, finally, in the last two years, we're starting to see more than 100% growth. At the minimum, if you want to be really conservative, uh, uh, high double-digit growth. Now, it's not all broadcast because there's online media. And, of course, we all know Netflix contributes um, a lot. Let me give you a, a little, just a measuring stick. Um, each network is required to produce, to deliver a little over 200 hours a year. Okay? So take, pick your TV network. They're putting about a little over 200 hours per year. Netflix... Last year, put over 300 hours, and they're brand new to this business. And they announced at the beginning of this year, th this year they're going to do double what they did last year. And I have pretty good authority uh, from Netflix that you're going to see this exponential type growth rather than single digit growth. You see what I'm saying? That's what we're talking about explosion phase. When you start to see a market grow, and Netflix isn't the only example. The whole thing is because once this expansion goes through and Netflix does what they do and some other online vendors that are about to come online, we're, what I'm saying is we are, from now to the next seven years, going to see exponential growth, three you know, 300%, 500%. You know, I'd like to see 1,000%. But we're going to see description double, triple, quadruple year over year during the next five to seven years. So we're at a fantastic time compared to our history in terms of the growth of the marketplace. And one feeds the other, right? One type of description, which means the more it's out there, the more people know about it, the more people know about it, the percentage of them that care and want to see more of it, and it just spills over. One person thinks it's interesting, and theaters that didn't used to offer it, now they're doing it, and you, you understand that it, there's, it trickles down like that. So we're at the beginning of this explosion phase. Well, there was an explosion phase in captioning. I've looked at the graphs business-wise, you know, business graphs about the size of the market and the growth and blah, blah, blah. You can see what happens. Um, you can predict what happens. And, the, you know, for people who want to work in this industry, it's the best time possible because the number of jobs uh, are going to grow tremendously. The need to find people that can do this work is growing exponentially. So that's terrific. So the from a consumer's perspective, what are they going to see in this kind of growth? All right. Well, let me get my scrolling down. Okay. So I'm just doing my Braille thing with one hand and holding the mic with the other. Okay, here we go. So five to ten years, uh, and some of these, I had these divided up, but I'm going to go a little quicker here. So I had these divided between what we should see in the next five years versus ten years, but I'm going to kind of blend it all together. Here's the kinds of things. What are we going to see in description 
in the next five years or, or maybe 10, but certainly 10. So let's put it this way, possibly five, maybe 10 for consumers. We're going to see accessible set-top boxes, which we've already seen from, yeah, thank you to our good friend Tom Likowski and Comcast and those folks. I wish I could say that I believe that everybody will do that. I don't believe everybody will do that, but there will be more of it than there, than there has been. We're going to see things like Apple uh, TV, which already offers accessibility. I can, you know, uh, that sort of thing. So you're going to be able to get description through these um, IPTV devices like Apple TV and Roku, uh, things like that. We're going to see uh, description more and more and more received, uh, basically cloud-based description, where uh, it's kind of the model like uh, Josh Mealy created with um, the DVX uh, video the descriptive video exchange that was created by the VDRDC um, where the description resides on a server uh, in the cloud and your mobile device downloads it and syncs it to whatever you're watching. A lot of that is coming. There's already multiple apps. We know about the Disney one. We know about the one from Electro Enterprise in Canada. We know the one which they call a Solo DX. You know, there's, uh, there's an Italian one, a Spanish one. I mean, these, there's, these things are popping up everywhere and they're going to become much more common where you're going to have the choice to uh, choose what you want to um, download and listen to it and sync, that sort of thing. Um, there'll be downloadable, purchasable uh, description, licensed description, paid description, free description. Um, you'll see multiple versions of description. Do you want to watch it described by this source or by that source? Uh, there'll be multiple language description. You'll have um, different types of description that you can receive. I'll talk about that on the producer side a little more, but it does affect the consumers. Um, you'll have the, to some extent, there's been experiments with crowdsource uh, description on the web. Uh, some of you may be familiar with Udescribe, udescribe.com. There's a lot of um, amateur description where you can go and, and hear just volunteers. It felt like describing something that was on YouTube, so they went to Udescribe and described it. And you can ask your friends and family to contribute to that, and they can use the tools and offer a description for your YouTube videos. Um, there will be... Uh, so basically you're going to end up with these different... Because of the economic model, as, as you have huge quantities of description... Um, being delivered, there's going to be, from the producer side now, uh, a pressure to use automated technology to create it, meaning software that creates the actual description text based on what the software can detect as images in the film. So it sees a, white, a picture of the White House in the film, and using an automated process, it creates a script that says, you know, oh, the White House or you know, this, I'm, I'm being very simple, but th this stuff is already demonstrable. There's, there's already mo working models. Um, there's uh, synthesized voices. Uh, even at NAB, National Association of Broadcasters uh, Convention, there was demonstrated synthesized voices uh, for subtitling and for uh, video description. There's going to be uh, automated editing. Automated mixing has been in the, in the market. You guys hear automated mixing right now on NBC and USA and some Fox shows um, and a lot of stuff from the UK. Um, and well, let's see, I mentioned artificial voices. Um, so what does huge quantities mean? You know, from a producer standpoint, there, uh, jobs used to come and we would describe one show at a time and give it back one show at a time. 
Now they're, they're willing to give you 100 hours at a time. We're bidding on 500-hour packages, 700-hour package. That never used to happen you know, five years ago. Um, you're delivering huge quantities in a short amount of time. The price uh, to produce it that, willing, that people are willing to pay, much, much less. It's 25% of what it was 10 years ago. Okay? Uh, the price that, that, descriptors get, that producers get paid to produce description, and you should know this as consumers, because, and I'll, well, I'll tell you why in a second, but it's 15 to $25 a minute roughly. Yes, there's some people a little bit less and some people a lot more, but the bulk, if you go by kind of a mode average method, it's 15 to $25 per program minute. So uh, a 100-minute film, it's going to be you know, $1,500, $2,500 to describe it. There has been uh, analysis done on uh, production budgets for producers and comparative uh, compare line item to line item. Well, how much does the subscription cost compared to, for example, the craft services table from when they were shooting it, right? It's, it is a fraction of a percent, and it is, in fact, smaller than the price that the producers paid to feed the cast and crew uh, on the shoot. So even though you'll hear um, mandated entities complain about the cost of description, it's infinitesimal compared to things that they quite willingly paid for. I'll interrupt myself to tell you just a quick little anecdote here. You'll appreciate this. Uh, a friend of mine that's in the captioning business has a, his captioning office uh, in a certain location in Los Angeles. And uh, one day came to work and they were shooting a film on his street. And they're all, you know, the whole crew and all the trucks and the police have the streets blocked off and they only let traffic through in between takes and all that kind of thing. And he went into his office, and someone knocks at the door, and he answers the door, and the, the uh, production assistant says, uh, Hi, I you know, represent such such films. We're shooting on your street, and um, we actually need some more space. Would it be all right? Could we rent your parking lot? And he said, Well, that all depends. How long are you going to need it for, and, and uh, how much are you going to pay for this? And they said, Well, you know, we'll offer you uh, $4,000 a day for two days. Now, it's a 15, no, 16-space parking lot. You know, maybe you can fit 20 cars in there. And they, they struck up their deal, and uh, the, the film crew parked. All they did, this is all they did. They didn't use it to shoot. This was not a shoot thing. This was, we want to park our extra semis with the added gear that we're not using, our spare gear, our, our grip stuff, lighting gear, and all that stuff. We need somewhere to park our trucks that's out of the way of the shot, okay? They parked their trucks there. They paid $8,000 to do that. And then at the end, they paid him the check, and he said, you know, uh, I wanted to just point something out. Do you know what I do? And they look at the sign. It's like, uh, oh, captions, something, ca captions. Oh, you ca oh you're, yeah, I do, I do. You know what you guys would pay me to uh, translate all of the text and describe the audio for the deaf people and, and uh, caption this film that you're making? No. Yeah, about $500. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, and, and, and let me tell you, to describe that film, that hundred we just said, would be 1500 to $2,500. And yet they will fight tooth and nail, typically, right? Most of them, not everyone, but most of them will fight tooth and nail not to do it. And they'll put the cost on someone else. So um, I wanted to arm you with that information so that when you hear these arguments, some people feel a little sympathetic because we blind people don't like to be a burden on our sighted friends. <laughs> so you're not a burden, okay? You're cheap. <laughs> It's easy to, easy to uh, get this stuff done. So I'll wrap it up. Um, there's a, the, the producers 
are facing very different circumstances because of the huge quantities. Uh, there's back catalogs being done. There's you know inquiries floating around the industry. Hey, can you do our you know all our movies from 1970 to 1990 or whatever? Uh, and people don't want to pay you know top dollar or regular dollar or any kind of dollar, but they want to get all this stuff done. So there's a lot of pressure on producers to do it more cheaply, which means they're going to try to find automated ways to do it. There have already been academic studies on what, how blind people respond to automated voices, and we don't typically like them. I, for one, don't even like automated mixes. I hate when the show just, you know, here you're listening to the show, and then it, all of a sudden the show's gone, and I hear this, you know, you know, he runs into the living room because he loves his mother, you know. And it's just like, and then all of a sudden the show comes back, you know, it's like, where was the show for a second? You know, so uh, this business of this automated mixing software that just cuts the program by 20 dB, um, you know, it's a it's been here for a while and it's not going to go away. And in fact, we're going to, like I said, hear automated scripts where it's it's creating some of the descriptive language. We're going to hear even automated voices. So what is that? Now let's go back. You know, that, there, I've explained why we're going to hear that stuff in order to get quantities of description out. Just like that's why Josh proposed the idea of crowdsource uh, description and and the cloud-based and DVX exchange. You know, all these things are attempts to how do we get all this stuff described for these people? But what's our role in all of this? Are we just, our role is just to be passive consumers and watch what happens, like we're watching a baseball game and hey, okay, well, wow, gee, description used to be kind of fun when it was hand-mixed and when there were real human voices and, you know, that sort of a thing. Or can we actually have a bigger role in it? And as a producer of description who has a third of my staff are either totally blind uh, or some of them uh, mobility impaired, but I think a third of my staff at least are totally blind, um, blind voiceover artists, blind quality control people, people that review the scripts to make sure they're actually good. Gee, imagine that, a blind person reviewing to tell the company whether their description works or not. I mean, you don't have to think I'm a genius just because I thought of that, right? That was a no-brainer. Uh, yet, I thought the idea would really catch on, um, and, uh, but it hasn't been as popular as I thought it might be. I, I give uh, you know, Bridge Multimedia credit for doing it uh, to some extent. But in general, there, I think, now wait, let's talk about quality because this is where our role comes in. We're going to have to accept that there's different kinds of description out there that we're going to that there's going to be top quality, professional uh, description, which has been through some kind of QC, quality control, some kind of QC process. That will, there will be a market for that. There will be people that want, will pay the, the money to get that done and to have their stuff mixed by humans, edited by humans, voiced by humans. And there will be consumers who will prefer that. There will also be, I'll go to the opposite extreme, Description, which the script was created by a machine, and I know the people at Google that are working on it, uh, this, I've been invited to participate in that process. Um, the, the scripts are created by a machine. Uh, it's voiced by synthetic voices. It's mixed with software, and there's very little human involvement other than to look at the finished product and make sure that nothing went wrong, or at least terribly wrong anyway. Um, this is what's going to be out there. But the role that the consumers should have, do have, but may not, and thus far haven't really embraced, 
is to speak up and have a voice and say what we like, uh, say what we don't like, protest what we don't like, boycott what we don't like, and support financially that which we do like. Uh, the days, uh, you know, look, I know the big elephant in the room, and all that. I, I won't go off on this, but, but it's not a big secret, and I know for a fact the networks know about it, you know. Um, there's, there's a, you know, large resources of pirated programs of, that are described. And now people have even begun to rip them from Netflix and put them, you know, out there for other people to get. They, the broadcast ones were already there, both from England and the States. It's all there. There's tens and tens of thousands of hours of description for free if people want to grab it and take it. True, it doesn't have picture, but, you know, for blind people, and it's like, well, in the days when you couldn't get it anywhere, and, you know, it wasn't available in your local cinema, your cable company didn't pass it through, this, and that, there were all these arguments. And I, you know, I could sit and hear some of those, and they, they made sense, like, okay. But consumers do have to be responsible and say um, that someone's got to pay to have it done, even if it is a, a pittance. Someone's got to pay to have it done. And if we value it, just like we value anything else, we need to be willing to pay for it. Um, most cases, we're not being asked to be, be to pay any more than anyone else is going to pay. My Netflix subscription is the same cost as anyone else's. My uh, iTunes downloads cost the same as anyone else's. So, you know, just the idea that blind consumers should get a free pass has to go, has to be in the past. That cannot be part of the future uh, if we really want to have any kind of description worth listening to. So there's that point. But that isn't even my most important point. The most important I'm going to make is we need an online dialogue. We need a dialogue that is visible. And I'm, I wish I could tell you details because you guys would be astounded, but, you know, there's confidential conversations. But large clients that, whose names you would know very well have point blank said to me, we would pay more if we could see online blind people saying that your service, Mr. Boggs, it provides a, a greater quality of description, but we don't see any conversation about quality at all. And that's true. It is not out there. So our role is to really... Uh, do the reviews. I mean, even the average, uh, us, you know, everyone who shops on Amazon rates their five, three, two stars, one stars. Everyone who, who downloads apps from the app store, you know, can review those apps, five stars, three stars, two stars, and make their little remarks. Description is no different. And we must not only get in the habit, but be insistent and create platforms. We need an online discussion list that is very visible, well-promoted and well-known to people in the industry so that our viewpoint can be believed. So it's not just one guy or two guys. You know, people aren't going to believe that, that I uh, am, am going to be objective about measuring description, but I really am pretty good at compartmentalizing when I'm a consumer and when I'm a business guy trying to get a, a job. And I care about people's viewpoints about description, and I want to hear it. I, I seek it out in my own company. So our role is to say what we love, what we dislike, or to even just make interesting contributions. You know, I don't have time now, and, but at some other future forum, I would like us to have conversations about difficult description uh, situations, like you know, clips and stuff. I think they actually have a session about that coming up. So, but I can show you some stuff and say, how do you want this handled? Because there isn't a straight ahead one way to do it. Those kind of conversations need to be public, not just between blind people. They have to be. 
or the producers will never hear us. And let me tell you guys, if you could hear the authority that these sighted producers who have never talked to you speak with when they give their notes about description, you would really be upset that someone's representing you with that kind of confidence and probably not representing your viewpoint. So that's what our, our role can be. And my role in the future, my role going forward, just so you know, is to continue to push to include blind people in the description industry. I'm doing three things the first week of August you can look for. Uh, starting a weekly podcast to discuss uh, both the larger issues in the industry as well as specific examples of, so here's a description puzzle for you, things that we've run across or that we've found that we'd love to hear. How would how do consumers want this done? Because there's just no clear, you know, those kinds of things. But uh, so the, uh, uh, a, a podcast um, to discuss description issues and we'll make it possible for, you know, people to participate. Um, a... Uh, Oh, uh, discussion list like I'm talking about, uh, Facebook discussion list, uh, my nonprofit organization, The Accessible Planet, I'm a member of the Description Leadership Network of the VDRDC. The Accessible Planet will have a, um, a uh, uh, discussion list. It's kind of like email listserv, but these are more public, right? And they're, these are commonly uh, managed on, on Facebook. You guys are probably familiar. Um, as well as an online training course. Online training course, I'm going to uh, announce that. I'll get the publications to... Um, to uh, ACB and the, and the forum so that everybody will know. Opportunities for blind people to learn how to become description quality specialists. So how do you become trained to QC description? You've got to watch an awful lot of it. You've got to learn basic principles of description writing, and, and then you've got to do a mentorship kind of a thing. So those three things. I'll offer training to blind people that want to learn how to do this. I'll, do the, I'll set up my own platform. I don't care which one becomes the most popular, uh, but we've got to have them. And I'll, and I'll start doing podcasts so we can kind of get the conversation going. But all of you should make a commitment to doing something um, if you really care about the future description because you know why? It's in high speed. It's going very, very fast. And all you have to do is talk to a deaf and hard of hearing population and ask them if they wish they would have been more proactive about quality captioning early on because I know universally they're going to say yes. Uh, that should have been something that, that they should have taken care of much, much earlier. We finally got an FCC mandate for quality captions, and we should not wait 30 or 40 years before we get that for description as well. So I'll say this in closing. The future for description is very bright. So uh, I'm asking you guys to help me shine the light. Thank you. Wow, um, that was just fantastic, as I knew it would be. And I'm so glad Rick, uh, you know, not only emphasized this idea of consumers being quality uh, control experts, it's not just being a consumer, it's being a knowledgeable consumer, taking that kind of training. We've had people uh, who are consumers in our audio description institutes, and I've done that, I've had people who are blind organizing my training sessions all around the world and that's because they need to be knowledgeable. I oftentimes say, you know, 
I've been driving a car uh, for about uh, almost 50 years. That doesn't make me an expert in highway design or even in how a car works, you know? No, you have to learn that kind of thing. Anyway, thank you, Rick, so much. Um, what I'd like to do now is invite uh, Chris Gray up to, um, uh, we will have a, a somewhat expedited, perhaps, uh, 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 award ceremony. Chris, you want to come on up here? I'll help you get up. up uh. So uh, let me quickly uh, introduce Chris Gray, former president of the American Council of the Blind and the chair of our awards committee for the uh, audio description project. I'll hold the microphone. Okay, you hold it, that's fine. Well, thank you very much, Joel, and good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's always a pleasure and an honor to be here and present awards. There are so many deserving people in this field, and this is our one chance during the year to recognize them and for you to recognize them. So uh, let's get started. Uh, we have a number of categories in the audio description project for awards. The first one is with regard to performing arts. And uh, this year, the award is going to Arts Access. They're a North Carolina group. They've, they've done tremendous work in, in producing and creating uh, audio description. Is there someone here to? Yeah, she is here. Oh. Yeah, Debbie Hippler is here. Debbie <laughs> Hippler, come on up. Could you hold this for a second? Get the, yeah, let's get the, oh, Fred's got the, here, I'm going to get this to you, Chris. There's a certificate and a plaque, and, and okay. then you can present it to Debbie, and I'll get out of it. Debbie, it's an honor to give this to you, and thank you for your organization, everything that you do in audio description. <laughs> thank you very much. I don't know how much more. No, say. <laughs> Keep it to less than an hour. Less than an hour. Thank you so much for this recognition. Fred is part of Arts Access also, and this year we have blossomed into being able to work with a number of our local museums. We have done over seven, uh, 75 shows this year in our area. We've got new theaters that are coming on. The museums are actually calling us. A number of them are offering tactile tours as well as description and it's just been a really fun year. So thank you so much for this award. The next award will be the Media Award, and goes to a person who is very well known to the blind community. He's a guy who keeps us apprised of what has description with it, for video, for Netflix, for television. Of course, he has help, but uh, Fred Brack has made this happen for blind people for years and years and years. And Fred, it's an honor to present you 
with the Media Award this year. Well, since I spoke yesterday, I'll, uh, I'll keep it brief, but uh, I've been doing this for 13 years, and it's a continuation of uh, really what I did when I was with IBM. I really enjoyed gathering information that would be useful to other people and finding a way to present it in, in a way that they could easily get to. Uh, and uh, audio description is important to me since my wife is blind, and I know a lot of other people appreciate this. And uh, it's really been a lot of fun to pull it all together. Yes, it's a lot of work, but it's very rewarding. And uh, I, uh, I thank Barry Levine originally with AD International for giving me the opportunity to uh, work on the website and for Joel uh, in convincing the ACB they should pick this up. And the website has really blossomed since they've done this. And I hope to continue doing it for a long time. So thank you very much. Every year we struggle on the committee with uh, people who we want to give an award to or who ought to get an award, and there's not quite the right category for them in this particular year. Or somebody else got it in a category that might kind of be partly right for them anyway. So in recognition of this, we have created what we call our Special Recognition Award. And we have two of these to present this year, and I believe the gentleman who's going to get one is here in the room. So let's take him first. Uh, someone who has been known to me for a while. I used to live in Mountain View in San Jose and benefited from some of, some of his work. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Messersmith. The visual voice. Thank you very much. Hey, Mark. Thank you. Appreciate it. I, uh, I am kind of kicking myself that I haven't come to one of these before um, because in Silicon Valley um, and in the San Francisco Bay, it's dying. Theaters simply aren't able to stay open, and when that can't happen, they assume that audio description and captioning won't be there as well. So what I am taking away from this particular uh, convention is I need to get my butt out there and do some advocacy because even some of the smaller theaters, I think, can benefit um, from opening the door. Um, I want to make as much available as possible. And I'm kind of a one-guy show many, most of the time, but I, I really enjoy everything that has come out of this entire convention. By the way, the Hawaiian muumuu that Joel has worn today is completely appropriate. <laughs> thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I would have said it's beautiful, but you would have shot it subjective. That's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Very good. Alice is not here, right? Yeah, the kid is here. Oh. The uh, second award, special, it, special recognition award, is going to go to a lady named Alice Austin. She can't be here with us today, but uh, Kim Charlson is here to receive the award in her place. And uh, Kim, do you want to maybe say just yeah. a few words about... Uh, Alice and so forth. Sally's sleeping. I've been working her pretty hard, you know. 
Thank you. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure to um, accept this on behalf of Alice. I wish she could have been here because she would have gotten so much out of um, networking with all of you and being a part of the conference. But Alice has really contributed to the audio description scene in the Boston area. She does audio described performances from a local theater at Perkins. She does a, a theater, a small theater that it's called Open Doors Theater, and it's community-based with people with all sorts of disabilities included in it, and they, perform, they produce one show a year, and she's their describer. They caption, they describe, they do all the things to be inclusive, and she does some of the big Broadway shows that come into town, too, so she takes it from the, the smallest to the biggest and brings us just highest quality descriptions, so it's really an honor. Thank you very much. Here you go, Kim. Here's a, a folder. Okay. Sign and her yes, plaque. Yes, plaque. Get your picture there. Oh, just me? Oh, <laughs> Chris, you can. Yeah, we're here. I'm probably holding the plaque upside down. Well. <laughs> All right. Okay. Alice does that's really interesting yeah. is she's she's an expert at um, the the um, impromptu description. Yeah. She has described for network television um, two presidential inaugurations. So there's no chance to see it in advance, you know. Uh, you have to do it while it's happening. So she really does the absolute hot live description. So thank you. Our next award is for museums and visual art. And uh, this year, an awful lot of people were involved. Uh, one of the first names we saw on the nomination was for an archivist, Audrey Coleman. And uh, of course, the uh, Dole Institute was, was very involved in this. And it's for a description of the uh, Americans with Disabilities presentations at the Dole Museum, and uh, the audio reader participated in that as well. So thank you for all of them. Come on the up here, Jen Nigro. Yeah, an audio reader. Okay. I'm going to give you both, okay? I will deliver that. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> hey, thank you. You want to say something? Yeah. So this was, a, this was a really exciting project for us. We've done a lot of theater description over the years. This was our very first museum uh, 4A, um, and it was actually uh, instigated by a former employee of Kansas Public Radio who left us to go work for KU Endowment as the liaison with the Dole Institute of Politics. And they were getting ready for this 25th anniversary special exhibit, and Sherry put them on to us and said, you really ought to have this described. And so that has now led to we're, we're getting ready to launch a second project with them, and it's really exciting because now it's not just audio reader doing description, but it's other agencies on campus. And, and we find that when we partner with other groups, the word gets spread even more, and uh, we're having our own little explosion, so that's fun. <laughs> so thank you. That's great. Yeah. 
We give an international award each year, and the recipients this year are, and I'm going to mess this up, but both Soluces y Servizo. Uh, not much. <laughs> and I don't know much either, but Francisco's <laughs> judging us here. The award recipient is not with us in the room. Uh, Chris will tell us a little bit about it, but it's the Vos Soluciens e Servisos Limitada. Did I do that, Francisco? Is that okay? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's reserving judgment. Ah. Much better than mine, Joel, but then I'm not an audio describer. But they, they do a tremendous work in, uh, in Brazil, and uh, what they particularly received the award for this year is that they do audio-described football games. Not U.S. football games, but uh, soccer. We call it soccer. They call it football. And, uh, oh, gosh, they do organized tours of the games and have T-shirts made and just have a real good time. So congratulations. Next is the Fanstill, uh, Margaret Fanstill Research and Development Award, and uh, we're very pleased this year. Uh, there's a lot more talk every year at ACB about technology. Technology is no stranger to the audio-described field. This year, the award will go to Disney Pixar for Disney Movies Anywhere, and uh, this is where you sync your iPhone to a movie and have it described. So congratulations. Yeah. Disney, yep. Pixar. I'm sending that off to Paul Sai Hockey, who is the gentleman at Pixar who works with that and couldn't be with us uh, here today. But by, I'll real quickly say, though, that uh, ACB was very proud to nominate uh, Pixar, Disney Pixar, for the FCC Chairman's uh, Award in um, Innovation and Accessibility. And they won, um, along with about five others, but they had some, like, 40-some nominations. So I got a chance to meet Paul in Washington uh, about a month ago, and uh, they're doing great work. Thank you, Chris. And finally, we come to the Barry Levine Award. Barry, one of the founders of ACB's work in audio description, a great advocate for it. We have uh, our, our highest award given in his name and his memory. And today, the recipient is here. He uh, exemplifies something we don't know a lot about in this country, and that's audio description research and codifying what's going on in the field and how it can be done better from the point of view of a researcher. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you Francisco Lima from Brazil. <laughs> Dr. Lima? is Dr. Francisco Lima and Okra, the wonder dog. Okra heard me say her name. Here you go, Francisco. <laughs> right around here. All right, and there's a certificate, and Chris has got a, an award for you, and there's a microphone for you to say a few words. Well, uh, good afternoon. Um, Joe said, you know, this is the mic for you to say a few words. And that gets even more difficult, you know, 
to say a few words. Well, uh, I want to thank uh, ACB for having me here, and I want to say how uh, this award is important, not only for me as Francisco as a, an individual, but as a person with visual disability, I entered the world of uh, the people who are blind about 50 year, 51 years ago when I was born. So, uh, you know, it has been quite a while now. And uh, audio description has one thing that is quite important, has the AD and that's of advocacy. So when I started working what, with auto description, I had been studying, researching uh, the capability of people who are blind to make use of visual information for quite a few years. It has been like 20 years now. And uh, I started tutoring, teaching auto description. I started teaching people who can see to observe and not only that, describe what they observe in a way that people with visual disability, people who are blind, who have low vision, could understand and make use of it. Well, every one single person who is blind or has low vision, has had some description before. But why is it auto description so important? And why is it different from everyday description? And the basic fundamental thing about it is auto description comes to empower people who are blind or have or have low vision to decide for themselves to see what's being seen by the eyes of those who audio describe. When you get an everyday description, well, uh, that description is not necessarily for you, the people who are blind to see the image. There's quite a few misunderstandings there and people underestimate people who are blind. Some people say auto description is for people who are blind to understand a movie. It is not. It is for people who are blind or have low vision to see what's going on in that particular movie. We know that blind people understand by listening, by cognitive abilities. But auto description teaches, teaches us, blind people, one thing. It teaches us how much we don't see, how much we're blind, and we miss in this world of vision, not because of our disability, but because the world of vision is, has been inaccessible to us. We want equal 
opportunities. And that comes with accessibility, comes with um, universal design, comes with the work you people are doing here and have been doing by spreading the words about this um, accessibility, this, this assistive technology. And or last, I want to say one thing. As a professor down there in Brazil, I would not have been able to be here today and to spread the word I've been doing if it weren't for my family, if it weren't for my students. Today, some of them are real good auto describers down there. And you know what they're doing? They're helping Brazilians to be included. And that's what auto description is for. I thank you very much, and I apologize for taking that long and for my language. <laughs> thank you. May I give you a Brazilian hug? Thank you, Professor Lima. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for your attention. This concludes the uh, presentation of our awards for this year. Uh, Joel, any wrap-up? Yeah, let me just say a couple of things. Real quick. Uh, oh, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that a little later. A little later. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Don't look out for the uh, projector there. You good? Yeah, I just simply wanted um, to mention quickly that uh, uh, Dr. Lima uh, will be returning to Brazil via Washington, D.C., and on Monday, uh, Francisco and I will be at the Smithsonian Institution, where we'll be talking about Francisco uh, doing a year-long postdoc in audio description. Are you ready? This is at the Natural History Museum. A year-long postdoc in audio description and scientific illustration. Uh, how does one make those intricate drawings that scientific illustrators do with entomologists? How do you make that accessible to budding scientists who are blind, etc.? So I'm excited about that project, and uh, I wish him very uh, uh, a lot of success with it, of course. Um, I also want to thank Kim Charlson and the Perkins School because uh, I'm, I'm almost ashamed to say, but I'm, I'm proud to say that this is the first year all of our awards have been brailled. There's braille on the back of each award, and Kim is responsible for getting that to us in a cost-efficient manner. Getting, getting brailled plaques made is not easy, and it's quite expensive, but, but doing uh, labels... Uh, I don't know why we didn't think of it earlier, is a lot more, uh, a lot easier to do. So with that, folks, thank you for uh, sticking with us. I want to take a 15-minute break. If you could come back at 3.15, our next session, we're going, I'm going to shorten it by a half hour a little bit. We're going to have a chance to uh, kind of uh, critique some description and, and listen to a little description that's been uh, happening around the world. So 3.15.
Okay, let's let us rig up. Hello, hello. Let us gather again for uh, a session now that um, is something we we haven't done before. Um, you know from your, your agendas there, we call this audio description the best it can be. Um, and what I'm talking about there is actually for a number of years, people have suggested, you know, we ought to, at one of these conferences, we ought to just take some time to look at audio description, listen to audio description, and think about how it was done. And if it was high quality, if it wasn't, you know, what are the things that make description high quality? As I said in the agenda there, how do providers of description know that they're doing a good job? What, what criteria can be used to assess quality? in audio description. I know Rick has done a lot of work on this because he, he trains consumers of description to be QC experts. How do describers, description producers, know if the consumers are getting the most out of a described video or film? So we thought about, well, last year when we were putting this program together, thought about, well, you know, how could we do this in a practical sense? Because, I mean, I could take a, a, a clip from a, you know, some television show and, and oh, oh, not even knowing perhaps that uh, the description was done by audio eyes, say. And, you know, I've got Rick right here in the audience and we're going to critique it and, you know, mm, is that going to be awkward or what? You know, or I could, you know, there, WGBH does a great deal, Caption Max here in uh, Minneapolis, uh, my own company, etc. How do we deal with that? And I thought, ah, I'm going to contact my buddy Derek Brandon who runs a little something called AD Your Local Cinema in London. And um, really what that is, is a, a website that uh, I, I must say is comparable to our, well, comparable to one or two pages of our own website. He, uh, you know, because our website is quite comprehensive, thanks to Fred Brack. Um, uh, all different kinds of genres of description. Well, what what uh, Brandon, uh, Derek rather, had been doing for quite some time is listing all DVDs available in the UK, which, by the way, dwarfs the number available in the US. Go figure, a country that has one-sixth the population of the United States has 10 times the DVDs with description. Yeah, what's that about? Uh, anyway. <laughs> You know, um, but Derek has been, has, for a number of years, has been organizing those DVDs, those television programs, not television, no, movies and DVDs, and showing people, you know, where, where to get it and, and what, what movies have description and such. And so I thought, uh, uh, one part of the website, too, he has uh, excerpts, clips from films, so people can get an idea. Would they like to see that film? They have trailers on there with description, which is something that we don't see very often in this country. And I've had many consumers say to me, well, why don't the, the trailers, uh, why don't the, the previews have description? Because then we can tell if the equipment's working. 
rather than having to wait till the film starts and then go, oh, damn, and, you know, interrupt people, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought, ah, okay, Derek, send me some of those clips because nobody, you know, it's unlikely that the people that did that description will be at our conference or, or whatever, and I could certainly track them. Well, it turns out that Derek, um, uh, I, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that that website is going to continue. Derek is not going to be with them any longer because their funding has been cut. Uh, we know about that in the U.S., but that's happening in the U.K. as well. So he's not sure if the site's going to continue. He's not able to stick with it. So we decided to try something a little different. Um, I have uh, uh, clips from uh, films that uh, I picked off the Internet or that I know about, and I, I thought it would be just fun to play them and listen to the description and then talk about what makes that description work or not. Uh, and, and then I've got a couple of fun things at the end, too. We're just going to do this for about an hour or so. And um, um, we can stop and stop, stop, blip, blip, stop and start the, uh, the clips if you'd like. Um, I want to start with um, one in particular that I, I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll save this for the end, the, the historic significance of this clip or this movie that was described. It's um, about three minutes long. It's a, uh, just a little excerpt from the film To Fly, uh, which you may not have seen if you don't have an IMAX theater near you. Listen to this description, and again, I, we can stop and start. And this is informal. Just shout out. You want me to freeze it or something like that? Maybe we'll listen to it through if you want. Uh, it's three minutes. Uh, the others are, are somewhat shorter. Uh, and let's listen for the description. You know, what are the words being used to describe the visual images on the screen? Would you use different language? What are the images being described? Would you have decided to, no, let that one go and let's describe a different image? Because you can't describe everything, of course, we know that. Let's give it a try and see, uh, I, I'm hoping it'll be kind of fun and maybe we'll learn a little something. You are in a theater with 486 seats. The rows are steeply slanted up from the floor. I'm not getting my uh, video. I'm not getting wide. video. Hold on a second. Number three on there, Lori, is a happy medium. There you go. Thank you. Uh, let me see if uh, I have a feeling I know why it's not doing the video. And we will, uh, yeah, I think that's the deal. But let's, let's try that. Otherwise, what a bust this will be. Okay. You are in a theater with 400 and... Ah, how embarrassing. Um, well, we may be doing this with just the description, not the video. I, I don't know why that would uh, not have the uh, description. That's really odd. Uh, 
thought this one at least, I do want to show this one, whether or not we have the picture, because uh, it has some significance. So uh, I think we're just going to do listening. <laughs> Let's think of what that, unless I can figure this out. You are in a theater with 486 seats. The rows are steeply slanted up from the floor. The huge screen is 75 feet wide and 55 feet high, five stories from floor to ceiling. On the dark screen, big words in white, to fly. Presented as a public service by Conoco Incorporated, a DuPont subsidiary. At the bottom of the screen, in a few seconds, a small square picture of a blue summer sky, then four red-coated fife and drum players. In the basket of a balloon, a man stands amidst the circle of ropes, full gray mustache, tall maroon-colored top hat. Here on July 4th, in the year of our Lord, 1831, I am about to take a flight above the ground and earth and into the silent sky. And I have written a small poem in honor. A dozen people in colonial costumes stand around the basket. Historic occasion. Ladies in bonnets with chin ribbons, men with dark, tall stovepipe hats. Thank you. Until today, but birds alone were meant to take the sky. But now, because of men like me, all men of earth shall fly beyond the clouds, twixt thunder and the sun. Today, a new age has begun. The wicker basket with the balloonist rises up. Don't get lost in the clouds. It's magnificent. I wish you could all see it from here. Now the picture fills the full screen. The balloon, a shining silver globe, drifts up, up into the blue sky. Now we are in the air above the silver balloon with its man-carrying basket hanging below Drifting above a green forested valley, thick green forest. The silver ball of the balloon is belted with a ring of red and white striped bunting around its middle, four American flags sticking out from its basket. Close up of the balloonist, his right hand lightly holding on one of the supporting ropes. We descend toward a gleaming white New England wooden church. High on the steeple tower, a man is painting it, two people on the street below. Oh, good heavens! Oh! The balloonist quickly throws a bag of sand overboard. Oh my goodness! It's going to crash! Look out! John, raise yourself up there! Oh, I beg your pardon! Watch out! Ah! Don't be alarmed, my good man! The painter's paint can falls to the street below, white paint spattering a passing man and woman. Sir! Madam! My apologies! The balloon rises up into the sky. Oh, well, that's a different one. Okay. Who was that? Don't pay any attention to that man behind the curtain. Okay. Anyway, that's what I think of when I see this. What do you guys think? Just, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll do the microphone. In fact, I'll tell you what, I've got a couple of microphones. Jolyn, you want to help with this? Um, yeah, that one's all on. Good, 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 good. Uh, what did you think? What did you think? What was Chuck Constant? I want to get an L.A. Hollywood perspective here. It, well, I... See if the 
terminology isn't right. It didn't seem to be mixed very well to me. It, it was hard to, for me to understand the description over the actual uh -huh. soundtrack. So the, the sound mix? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It looks like s some others were nodding and they had the same problem. I mean, that could be the acoustics in this room. Yeah. We, we don't know for sure, uh, but, but I, I certainly agree there's some difficulty. Yeah. I like that he fit in the description of the small box of blue at the bottom before it actually happened so that he got the description in. The one thing I didn't like is when he said, we are now in the air. And now, and now. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean, we, white man? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jane. I understand why he would use the term white New England church because of time constraints, but ah. I object to the use of another visual referent without explaining <laughs> the visual referent. <laughs> what is a New England church? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, steeple is good. I mean, it's uh, simply a, a small white church with a, a, a steeple. Yeah, 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 sure, sure. Towering pointed steeple there, Mark. Ah, there you go. I want to get really into the details. Fred. Well, this kind of opens up a whole area, but he did this a couple of times. Yeah. The phrase that jumped out to me was, now the picture fills the screen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, I think some people get too upset about the word view or something like that, and you might be one of those people, Joel. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and and you use the term a close-up and yep. things like that. I, my own personal experience is it's sometimes difficult not to use some term like that, but now the picture fills the screen was particularly yeah. bad. Uh, and, and the interesting thing is, I, I think you look at it from a, a describer point of view, and you tend to say, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm not sure that in all of those cases a person who's visually impaired is going to object to that. So it's, it's worth a discussion in terms of how do we handle things yeah. like wide views or a view of yeah. space or a view from space down to earth and that's things right. like that. That's, right. um, that's, that's great. Yeah, uh, yeah we, a couple of thoughts there. Uh, well, first of all, I thought you were going to hit him up on the word now which was used several times. Now, now, you know, there's a woman, uh, speaking of, you know, Rick's great work with consumers that are consultants, Lisa Helen Hoffman is the audio description pr uh, program manager for the Jiva Theater in Rochester, New York, totally blind from birth, and, uh, or actually very, very young, um, actually. But anyway, um, she's great. She's come to these conferences, and she just goes crazy when she hears the word now. Now, 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 repeatedly, yeah. repeatedly, yeah. and it's like, I know it's now. <laughs> what is it? Yesterday? Is it tomorrow? Of course it's now. Why do you keep saying no? You know, and she just goes off on it. It's kind of fun to watch. Mark? It kind of felt like um, the, the description of the theater felt like you were in an IMAX theater talking about the way that the seats sloped up. That's and right. sometimes an IMAX film will start with a small section of the screen right. and then wrap around you. So perhaps this description was, was due to a specific presentation in which it was a small image that suddenly filled the screen. But right. I also didn't think that needed to be here. I didn't, yeah, it was very nice to set up something like that, but it didn't relate specifically yeah. to what this was. Right. Yeah, the other thing true. that I sure. didn't, didn't like was when he said, a forest, a thick green forest. Just say thick green forest. 
once. It'll be fine. <laughs> um, it is. This is the first IMAX film that was ever described, early 90s. And uh, I'll tell you more about the, the description in a little bit. But I do want to uh, comment and pick up on some of what Fred said. Um, close up, that kind of thing. In my view, um, most television, most theater, is naturalistic. It is uh, uh, representational. It is meant to be realistic. It is meant to make folks suspend their disbelief and believe this is really happening. The first time you say camera, close up, screen, it's like you're slapping people in the face and saying, oh, this is just make-believe, never mind. That's not what the maker of the film intended, if it's a realistic film. And so I tend to uh, have some concern. And I think there are ways uh, to, to indicate uh, that it's a close-up without saying it's a close-up. You know, Mark Urban's nose is mass, or, you know, whatever. <laughs> Talk about his nose. Well, why am I talking about his nose? Because that's the only thing on the screen now. Because it's a close-up. Et cetera. Mark. Okay, uh, now Mark says something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, uh, the, as a complete amateur in this field, uh, and I recognize that and, and I know more about what, you know, when it would be used rather than how it's done, um, the, I wanted to give positive constructive criticism. I thought how they handled the, because we're all saying, oh, don't do this. Oh, oh no, you did yeah, this all. Yeah. Um, I thought the handling of the paint bucket falling was done very well because the timing was ideal. It didn't yep. happen exactly when it happened because there were other things going on and the describer yep. was finishing a, a comment. But the describer still managed to convey in a very short yep. opening and window exactly what That's had happened right. and why he w the, the guy in the balloon was apologizing yep. to Des that couple. Description. I thought that was really well handled. It so. need not happen in real time. It just can't sometimes. Now, it is sometimes a little bit of a concern for folks who have low vision, which by the way is the bulk of our audience. Um, but folks who have low vision tend to want to, well, I won't speak generally, but some folks will want to use their vision and will want to see and they hear and they're not, that doesn't jive with what they're seeing. It can be a little disconcerting. Sighted people say that all the time. Wait a second, I didn't see that happen. Well, Again, it doesn't have to be in real time, and it's not possible to uh, sometimes because of the, the timing. Joyce Adams. <laughs> Say? Yes, yes, I agree with most of the above, and um, I just wanted to speak to the economy of language or the lack of redundancy in language. I think it was the last line saying the balloon rises up into the air. I mean, it rises into the air. It, a balloon will not rise down into the air. It rises up. It, it always goes up. So I noticed that right as it was ending. Yeah. What about the voicing? What about the voicing? Did that work for you or not? Or what? The, 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 the voice talent, uh, the person that voiced this actually did write the description. That's rare in media. In media, there's somebody writes the description and then a professional voice talent. It just depends on the situation. But just the, the vocal delivery, if you will, of the, of the script. You want to speak to that, Richard? Yes, yeah. yes. I mean, it was clear to me it was not a professional voice. Um, and one of the things that I noticed is 
yes, I don't think that when they created this track, they even bothered to duck the audio underneath. Uh, Maybe uh, slightly, but not anything that I could hear. Or it was obliterated. And so <laughs> one of the things I try to coach my voice talent when I work with them particularly is um, enunciation and energy. Yeah. You have to have inflection, you right. have to have emphasis, you have to have energy because you're reading over a dynamic soundtrack. Right. And uh, I would love it if I could keep the soundtrack to a level where it's still present and right. still audible, but also understand yeah. what's being said. And yeah, that's, that's very important, the sure. delivery. Sure. I want to hear from some of the audio description consumers, folks in the room who are blind or low vision, uh, and that, I guess, involves uh, Kim and Francisco at this point. Or who's, where Susan's in the back? I didn't see you there because, of course, you're blind. I couldn't see you. Oh, my God, I didn't say that. But, yeah, Susan, Kim, Francisco, what, what did, you have any impressions, anything you want to share? Well, basically, um, what has been said before, I totally agree with that. In particular, uh, this thing about close-up and, you know, uh, rising up into the air. If, you know, a balloon rises, uh, it is into the air, and it is up. It doesn't rise, it's just down, whatever. Um, and uh, but the f the first thing that uh, really bothered me was the way the soundtrack was yeah. done. Yeah. Um, you know, it was kind of hard understanding what is being said. And um, well, uh, when uh, it says there in the beginning that in a few seconds, uh, you know, the uh, the square is going to appear. Um, it's good to uh, advance that is going to appear, but you know, uh, too many words to say what's going on. So let's use the words to describe, not to anticipate yeah, ideas. Yeah. Sure. Kim or um, Susan, want to add anything there? Or Susan, yeah. Um, I was when at the very beginning when we were given the exact dimensions of the stage and the theater. I was how am I going to remember that? You know, um, and I, I wasn't quite sure why that that was happening. And, and Mark helped illuminate that a little bit right. by suggesting and then having you confirm that it's a, you know it's an it's IMAX. An IMAX. Yeah. It's probably not a detail that I would have kept in mind. Um, the other thing that I wanted to address, and this this goes back to the discussion of now and and such. I don't always require complete sentences when I'm listening to a description. I'm fine with something like in a cafe, in a church, sure. um, at the top of the building, so that sometimes you can find a phrase that communicates the transition without a long sentence. Sometimes the sentences are absolutely necessary, yeah. and I can't comment in memory here about wh whether that was an issue here, but I just I know that it's very easy sometimes for your transition instead of now to say, on the porch. Sure. Um, in Maxine's kitchen, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Uh, you know, words, phrases like, uh, oh, Carl's here, of course, yeah. Um, sometimes phrases like, uh, I don't know about now, but, you know, then, or in a moment, or they're, they're not even so much to indicate time as, as to indicate shift of scene. And that can be helpful. That can be helpful. Uh, overdoing it, uh, as with anything, is, is not. Um, I... At first, I thought it was kind of cool that he mentioned the dimensions of the screen and stuff, but now that I think about it, I don't think it was good to add because we're now watching it on a small screen in a small hotel conference room. <laughs> right. And I'm trying to visualize what he's describing 
<laughs> and it doesn't match with the scenario that we're in now. Good point. <laughs> Same thing if I'm watching it on the screen at the TV or it's right. just so I, I, I think you want to describe what's actually taking place for media. Not, not I'm not talking yeah. about live performances right. or theater. I'm talking about for media like, like this. You probably want to describe the content on the screen because you don't always know where the content is right, going to be right. displayed. That's great. Kim, did you have a, anything you wanted to say? or? Yeah. I'm, I, I can't, I, and I think you all were saying this about now that sometimes there it, you can use it. I'm not a, I'm not in the Helen camp about yeah. now necessarily. <laughs> right. I mean, but but I think he must have used it in this like now now now. I mean, at Correct. least three or four times Correct. in a two minutes piece. Yeah. But I do like words that can put me instantly in place, like nighttime. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. morning, you know, and just like, like Susan said, just something really quick yep. Yep. To, to help me, okay, I'm transitioning, I'm somewhere new now. Okay, I got it, you know. Yeah. So uh, you know, I like that example a lot, Kim, because um, we talk about in training and in my book, and et cetera, general to the specific. Set up, what's the C? Set it up first and then get into the details and perhaps in a certain order. It's especially true uh, with visual art. But Mark, what do you have to say? In the I, I have a question. So yeah. I've been listening to what people have been saying about uh, the description of the theater prior to it actually happening. And um, is that common when, you, when they have an unusual presentation that somebody would actually point it out if you're in... A, I would say that the only time in theater that I ever bring in the, the audience is if they've done something special in the auditorium that the audience is sitting in that makes it part of, you know, when we did Ragtime, they had bunting. There was all over the theater. There was the streamers hanging from the ceiling that added to the show. But in this sense, yeah. um, is that common? Well, not in media, I don't think. It, it doesn't feel a, like it, it is. A, it feels it's a live theater. It's a live theater um, Technique, if you will, um, oftentimes a live theater. You know, you might you know, the, the, is the crowd, you know, is the theater full? Is it not full? You know, it's part of describing the experience. So I don't have a problem there. In film, though, I think what Carl is saying makes a lot of sense. That you know, media, you can show it any other time, wherever. The, the deal with this is that it was in an IMAX theater, and wasn't, and this is intended to be shown in an IMAX theater. There may even be legalities around showing it anywhere else, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's that conveying the experience of this IMAX theater. So it fills the screen. I don't know, that might work in this case. Yeah, Kim. Yeah. It was trying to emphasize yep. the drama, excuse me, the drama of, a, of an IMAX performance. That's because right. I've I've been to, we have an IMAX theater in Boston, and so I've seen several films, and I never remember that yeah. being a part of the beginning. I mean, there's certainly no. the, the surrounding you and the giantness of the screen, but, yeah. um, but that's, that's just probably at the time and the sure. era that maybe that's what they did. Sure, yeah. Interesting, and, and I think that's a good point. Um, uh, oh, Carl? What they could do, I'm just thinking, is have a two-minute audio description clip play before the movie yeah. that would <laughs> right. describe the theater and the screen sure. and then the movie starts. Why not? Especially in an IMAX theater. That's right. Um, 
Well, yeah, picking up on what Kim said, uh, let's put this in context in the time frame where it came from. This was the first IMAX film ever described. It premiered at the Air and Space Museum, duh, uh, <laughs> in Washington, D.C. Um, the first time is circa, I want to say, early 90s. Um, and it was, the script was written by Margaret and Cody Fanshteel. And that's Cody's voice that you heard. And um, I think putting this in time, I, I think this is a great example because it's, it, there's some great stuff going on there and now we can, 25 years later, we, we have changed the way we do description. We've changed the way we voice description, as Richard says, because in those days, and I was there with Cody and Margaret, the idea, we were so afraid of any kind of subjectivity that all voicing was golf announcer. Now he goes here, now he goes there, now he goes to it, now he does the other thing. Now he, this, this monotonic, almost like whispering to the audience, which I think can nowadays is as jarring as someone who's overdoing the voicing and such. But so um, that was the fan deals, and I think, you know, of its time, it was kind of state-of-the-art, as well as the mix, by the way, that Chuck mentioned there, too. The, you know, there was no automatic ducking there, and they're just... I think the equipment and, and the software and such uh, just wasn't available that can be used now the way Rick was talking about. So you're right. The, it, oh, I happen to know this was done in the radio reading st uh, service studio at the Washington Ear, and uh, fairly rudimentary, uh, not a professional studio, if you will. So, um, and indeed, I will, I, I do have to throw in that I wrote and voiced the description for the second IMAX film that had description, which also was at uh, Air and Space Blue Planet. I'm not going to play that, though, because I'm not going to subject myself to this kind of <laughs> criticism. Um, let me, um, let me uh, move on to one that I pulled off uh, the internet. Um, I um, did not ever see, I heard wonderful things about the movie Frozen, right? I, I'm seeing nods around the, the room. I never saw it, and so I, I don't have any idea what it really is about, just little things. This is a trailer of Frozen uh, that was shown in the UK with description. So let's, um, let's see here what we think about this. from the creators of Tangled and Wreck-It Ralph, Disney. A carrot-nosed coal-eyed snowman shuffles up to a purple flower peeping out of deep snow. Ooh. Hello. <laughs> he takes a deep sniff. <sighs> His nose lands on a frozen pond. A reindeer looks up and pants like a dog. <gasps> Seeing the reindeer slip on the ice, the snowman smiles and moves towards him, though actually he's running on the spot. The reindeer falls on his chin. The snowman uses his arm as a crutch. The reindeer paddles his front legs. Head over heels, the snowman crawls along the ice. The reindeer does the breaststroke. The snowman rolls his body, but flips onto his back. The reindeer's tongue sticks to the ice. The snowman hurls his head. Twig arm and reindeer lips tug at the carrot. 
A carrot flies off and lands in soft snow. The reindeer goes after it with snowman and his body parts hanging on his tail. The snowman puts himself back together again and glumly contemplates his noseless state. The reindeer jams the carrot back in place and pants like a proud puppy. The snowman pats him with his stick-thin arm, then goes to sneeze. He grabs his nose with both hands. His head shoots off. Frozen, coming this winter, in 3D. <laughs> so, uh, I, I actually didn't even, I didn't even watch this whole thing through, uh, because I was in a hurry when I was getting it uh, downloaded and such, but, uh, uh, and I haven't seen the movie, but what'd you guys, uh, what'd you guys think there? What, what did you like? What didn't work? What do you think? She did a great job with all of the comic reliefs of scooting on the butt and, and losing the nose and whatnot. But Let, is you it, know, I'm going to stop you right there because it, it's very that everybody does this. It's very she did a great job. I guarantee you that woman didn't write the description. Okay, the That's script a voice did tale. a great job. There you go. The describer Remember, did a good job or not or yeah. what. I'm used to lives. So uh, yeah, that's right. But isn't gloomily contemplates his glumly? glumly? Isn't that subjective? Ad adverbs are not our friends in description. And yeah, you can say glumly. It's like a shortcut. Or you can describe, as opposed to tell, describe what the guy's doing with his head, you know, and let the blind person think, oh, he's not happy. I, I don't know. It is timing is absolutely that's sure no well no and we wouldn't say unhappy but how is it that we yeah how is it that we know he's unhappy or, or glum absolutely that's why that's, that's right that's why I say that's right that's right that's right yeah it's a shortcut that we have to use uh, at times Chuck. I, I it, it's difficult to say because I, I could see what was going on, but it seemed that it might be confusing, and I'd, I'd like to hear. The description of what was going on on the sheet of ice didn't seem clearly described to me it, to be taking place, you know, that the reindeer runs in place or whatever it was, because they were on ice. It was all their, their inability to move was because they were on the ice, and it didn't seem written yeah. to describe that. Am I, am I wrong? Yeah. Possibly. Well, this is a trailer. This is a trailer, so. Yeah, right. So it's not like it's a clip from the middle of a movie, and earlier in the movie they said the ice, ice, ice. Yeah, this is all self-contained, essentially. Mark. So I, I don't have any idea really what happened there. I got the sense that stuff was moving around. I love this exercise. A, a, an idea might be, in, if you do this again, to show each clip twice, once where you, everyone here is just doing it the way we do it, where you can't see it, and then see what you think happened, and then play it a second time where you guys can see it and see if what happened is what you put together in your head the way we are. Because um, I, I know that there was some sliding around the ice, and there was a reindeer panting like a dog, I think. But I've, I don't really get it. Like I, and and it, there was so much content. It was so wall to wall that I had to just focus so hard on what she was saying to to keep track, to keep up with it. That 
the two things happened. One is I, ha I didn't pay any attention at all to the actual original track of sound that was going on. Yeah. All I could do was listen to the describer. And the second was um, I was exhausted because I never had it. I couldn't enjoy It was not enjoyable. Hmm. I had yeah. to focus so hard on, on the description that it became a very active activity. And ultimately, I think when I go to see a movie or even watch a trailer, I kind of, you know, sometimes I want an active activity, but most of the time I'm looking for a passive activity. Yeah. Well, as Joyce knows, and, and we're going to go to Joyce next and Richard, uh, I, 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 less is so often more, you know, but go ahead. I would question the use of seeing the reindeer doing such and such, and also um, the snowman puts himself back together. I mean, that was just, it was kind of vague. I mean, he puts his head, he puts his head back on his body, yeah. essentially. Yeah. So that was just vague. Right, and I, I was having trouble following, too. Yeah, he didn't fall apart. It was the head was knocked off. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. That, that makes it unclear. Um, keep in mind, you know, it's an animated film. Uh, it's an animated film and uh, one that, uh, you know, obviously it has appealed to adults, but something like this, I think you, you have to have some fun with it. It goes to some of what Richard was saying. I wasn't sure she was having a lot of, the voice talent was having a lot of fun with this. Uh, it was, you know, pretty just bland and quick getting things in. The clinical, thing. yeah, yeah, perhaps. Richard and then um, uh, Margo. Yeah, I've got two separate sort of comments. Quickly, just a question. Do you think it was necessary to say he was sniffing? After we see the flower, he's passing a flower, he takes a huge breath. Did we need to point out that he's sniffing? Did we need that? And the other thing that comes to mind is this is sort of like talking about, because people talk about uh, radio, um, TV commercials. Should we describe TV commercials? Should we describe these things? And I know that there's value in it from the point of view of testing out the equipment in the theater. I totally see that. But from, from your point of view, Kim and Mark, and everybody else who's got sight impairments, is, is this a worthwhile exercise? Should they even be doing this? And should they just cut the description in half to make that confusion factor a little easier to take? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, that, because th this is a perfect example of... of of one of the really tough situations that we get into as describers, which is fast-paced physical comedy. Um, and in addition, fast-paced physical comedy without a, lot of, without a lot of sound effects that are terribly clear. And so the describer had a big road to hoe there. And relatively speaking, in terms of, you know, a sighted person who's a describer who's had to do stuff like this, did pretty darn well. But it, there's so much traffic. And so, as, as, as Richard says, it's like, boy, how much of this really is worth it? Because physically, it's accurate. I mean, the, there's, not a, there's not much of a step wrong. All of, the, all of the pieces are pretty much there. But it's like, is it, is it worth being that accurate, bang, 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 if, if there's so much traffic that it overwhelms your sense of comprehension? Yeah. Uh, uh, Margo, uh, if you could give the microphone to Margo and then uh, Susan and Mark, uh, research has established word rates that are most easily understood. 
I obviously I wasn't timing this out and the word rate there that'd be a little tricky to do but it, I'm sure it was exceeded 160 words okay. per minute um, and, and, and so you have to decide you know do you want to get everything in or do you want to make this clear and enhance as opposed to distract and confuse but yeah. hey so God first tough crowd um, and uh, <laughs> I'm sweating already but I, I agree with Valerie I mean it, it is that I understand it was like, I mean, even I as a sighted person was just going, whoa, whoa, whoa. But I understand the situation because it's like, it's so sight gag related. I mean, the whole thing is just about what you're seeing. So I don't know, you know, if it's, it's, you know, and maybe it is what you all just said, you know, just, you don't have to put every single solitary thing in, but I mean, would it be to like, just to get the, the crux of what was going on there was, they were both after his nose without, you know, the, yeah. and then how they got to it, but not, maybe not saying every single thing, but maybe just the funniest things, yeah. like he's on his behind, and you know, it can choose. Tricky, tricky stuff. Yeah. It's a so call. I just know, you know, sometimes it's easier to to comment, and then when you're writing it, it's oh, a whole, yeah. whole other oh, thing. Oh, absolutely. Always, like, always. Walk like you talk. <laughs> always, yeah. Susan, and then uh, Mark, I think, and then we'll go, uh, and Francisco, and then we'll move on to the next. So. One of the difficulties I had with this particular trailer is that I really didn't know what the movie was about. It's, it's funny, it's a cartoon, but Frozen's about this little girl, she goes on this mission. There's nothing central in this particular trailer. And I, and I couldn't figure out, I just thought I was watching a cartoon, but I, I didn't know based on this, is this story gonna be about the reindeer? Is it going to be about the, the snowman? Um, I, I just couldn't tell. I liked the playfulness of the of the sound effects, and I think that the describer in talking quickly, even may have been trying to suggest that that playfulness, you know, and the scriptwriter words like panting like a puppy, you know, for the reindeer. Um, except I did get a little stuck between dog and reindeer comparisons a couple of times, <laughs> and, it, and 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 then Jolyn told me that that when his head falls off, it actually stretches and elongates, and the body does, and all kinds of other things are happening that you can't convey. I just don't know, the, the main message from this is this is a funny story about a reindeer and a snowman and goofy stuff is gonna happen. And I'm not saying that dissatisfies yeah. me, but that's what I got. Of course, and the trailer is put together by you know the folks that made the movie and they didn't show the little girl or, uh, you know. I, yeah, no, well, that's, in other words, that's not the, we, we say what we see, we can't invent the trailer. Well, we both marks, I think, uh, both marks, and then, um, yeah. Now Mark Urban talks. Yes. Um, lousy with marks here. Yeah, I know. Uh, there's an awful lot of Mark. Uh, uh, the, from a, again, from an amateur point of view, I have to echo what Valerie was talking about, which is, and we, this, we have this challenge at CDC just in doing the things we do on a daily basis for video activities, which is how do, when, when we ask the subject matter experts what has to be conveyed that's important in this, I, in this set of information? And their answer is everything. And it's going to be yeah. exactly the way <laughs> I gave it to you because I'm the subject matter expert. I know exactly what I wanted to say. This is what I wanted to say. Right. Um, and yet at the same time, we get to a discussion of what we call key messages, right. which is what really, what's the, what are the elements that, you ab that you're really trying to convey versus the, all the, the kind of noise around it or the, 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 the yellow, what's the, where's the red uh, to talk in a completely visual approach right. 
Okay, what's the red? Right, what's the yellow? It. What's the green? Okay, well, the, we have to get the red. We'd like to get the yellow, and we can skip over the green. Um, that process, that, that, that process right. seems to me to be something that any person doing yeah. AD is going to have to go through, and I think that it's uh, an impossible challenge for yeah. something like this, which was entirely yeah. visual, minimal audio cues, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to be able to do okay. all the green, and I think yeah. she tried to get yeah. a lot of green in well, there. Well, yeah, the, you know, uh, you, you, the key message idea, that, that just makes me think right away of um, Oliver Wendell Holmes' quote, uh, the, the secret of great art is to leave out all but the essential. That's what we're about, really, is uh, making those judgment calls and getting the key elements, if you will, getting the essence across. Yeah. I, uh, I wonder if it could be, some of the problem could be maybe eliminated by also adding the word animation to Disney. Absolutely. I thought, because, yes. That was a know, cardinal rule of, of, of years ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've seen all sorts of nature films from Disney and, and, and live action. So in just listening to it, I thought, oh, my, nobody has the idea that this is an animated film. And Valerie nailed it when she said that it was, um, you know, animation, especially if you think about a Chuck Jones Roadrunner cartoon. Uh, all those sound effects, and no rock falls on coyote. You know, there's a lot of things that have to happen, but it's also the music that uh, yeah. illustrates the mood of the coyote coming with them. Um, and on a lot of Disney things, uh, their trailers are not about the movie. And Ice Age, they had trailers about Scrat chasing after an acorn, and none of that footage was in the movie whatsoever. That's right. No, that so. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think I tend Let's, to follow uh, Ken Rogers and say everything. Yeah, right. Let's, um, yeah, no, it's just not possible. Um, let's uh, take uh, this Mark's suggestion. I'm pointing to my left here, uh, to Mark Lasser. Let's look at this next one uh, without looking at it, if you will. I, I just closed up the, the uh, put the, uh, what the hell is that thing called? Projector. Lens cover up on the projector. Ah. Thank you, yes. The lens cover on the projector. So, you ain't going to see it, you're going to hear it, and then we'll play it again and let you see it, too. This is an excerpt. I can't remember if it's British or not. Anyway, The Hunger Games. Signs on a tall wire fence read, District Boundary, no access beyond this point, and high voltage. Katniss steps through a gap in the wires and heads into the woods beyond. She glances around before reaching into the hollow of a fallen tree. She draws out a wooden bow. From another tree, she plucks out a sheaf of arrows and straps it over her shoulder. Katniss makes her way through thick green vegetation. Bow and arrow at the ready, she walks over a fallen tree suspended over the forest floor. She pauses, her gaze locked on a deer in the distance. Leaning against a tree trunk, she aims the bow and arrow. The deer sniffs the air and moves out of sight. Does that conjure an image in the mind's eye? Yeah. All right. So, yeah, Joyce. You, Well, now this is an excerpt, you know, so you have to be a little generous there. But it probably would have been covered much earlier in the film. 
I haven't seen this particular film, but yes. Who's got the mic? Yeah, talking to the mic. Yeah. I also got a lot out of the sound behind it. The, the birds, I mean, that's, that was a contributing factor in helping to understand the wooden, yeah. Yeah, the wooded sure. area. I liked everything except I had to stop and try to process in my mind uh, what a tree suspended over the forest floor meant. I will see, but I think it was meant to convey that perhaps it was over a stream or um, if it's suspended, it's, you know, something like yeah. that. Um, well, um, one thing that uh, we, we have to think about when uh, narrating an oral description is that um, not all uh, voice talents will be able to say the same amount of words at that pacing. So it's, uh, of course, anywhere around 150 and 160 words. Uh, is good, but many uh, people who are blind or have low vision and use voice synthesizers, for instance, will read, that is, listen, uh, and so will read uh, in a much faster uh, pace, and will understand. So the problem here is not exactly the speed, but the, wor the way uh, the voice uh, is put you know, the way uh, she narrates. Uh, a second thing uh, is more related to the adverbs being used. Of course, we do not want subjective adverbs, but time adverbs, uh, place adverbs, and so on, are usually uh, very welcome, as we have mentioned, like a, in the kitchen, it is an adverbial phrase. And, uh, Last, it may be a, a question of uh, linguistics here, but talking about audio description, we have to be concise, we have to be clear, and we have to be specific. So if you use the right words, uh, no matter how many they're going to be, uh, it, it will make sense. If the words are not the ones uh, we really need to hear, then uh, a few words will be still hard of understanding. And, uh, you know, a, a quick example, at the very end when she says, like, um, uh, holds with uh, his both hands. Mm. If he uh, holds with his hands, uh, yeah. unless, <laughs> you know, right. it is with both. Right, right, exactly. So, uh, you know, uh, it's tiny thing there, but we diminish the quantity of words by editing what's being yeah. done. No, that's and right. Last but not least, in this <laughs> one movie uh, here, um, what is uh, interesting to point out is that um, you know when the uh, she shoots uh, the arrow and uh, it goes out of sight, um, you know it just uh, around don't remember exactly the words she used, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, yeah. you know, he or she to describe it. I'm saying, uh, 
but they jumped, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It, it would be enough. Yeah, sure. Well, that is, okay, speaking to of Hunger Games here, let's uh, take a look at this one now with the images and see if you still like the, uh, the description here. Signs on a tall wire fence read, District Boundary, no access beyond this point, and high voltage. Katniss steps through a gap in the wires and heads into the woods beyond. She glances around before reaching into the hollow of a fallen tree. She draws out a wooden bow. From another tree, she plucks out a sheaf of arrows and straps it over her shoulder. Katniss makes her way through thick green vegetation. Bow and arrow at the ready, she walks over a fallen tree suspended over the forest floor. She pauses, her gaze locked on a deer in the distance. Leaning against a tree trunk, she aims the bow and arrow. The deer sniffs the air and moves out of sight. Hmm. You know, one thing I, I noted this time, just, uh, you know, I think verbs are our uh, most precious resource. And I think there probably are verbs that could have been used as opposed to makes her way. How was the movement? What was the movement? Was it a scrambling? Was it a scurrying? Was it a stalking? A jog? Whatever. That kind of thing. That struck me now. Uh, thoughts? Yeah, J Jennifer. Okay, so I initially pictured the tree that was suspended over the forest floor and that she walked on or climbed over or whatever as, uh, as something that it was fallen in the path and she went over it um, to get out of her way. Uh, it was actually more of a bridge. Yeah. Um, and uh, you couldn't tell because of the vegetation below. Yeah. So she actually used it as a, as a bridge, bridge right. a and I didn't point. get that from the first good time point. through. Good point, yeah. Other thoughts about Katniss? Mark? Uh, <laughs> oh, any Mark. Pick a Mark. I don't know. Mark B. Um, when I heard it the first time, and I realized what was happening, I thought, who's humming? She's hunting. Is she humming? I, I think, you don't, you don't hum when you're going to hunt, uh, if you want to do successfully. Uh, watching it the I, second yeah, time. Yeah, I'm confused about that. I don't know. I just, yeah, and it, it, it got me. I didn't see the movies. It threw me into a track, and I was yeah. like, oh, that's hilarious. They got to either cut that or do something about it, or mention something, that it's in the soundtrack, and that it's not the character humming, because yeah. that wouldn't have made any it, sense. That might have happened earlier, but It, it would have made her crazy in the movie, so <laughs> and that didn't happen. The other thing about The Hunger Games, just watching it, is, I don't know, every scenario that any character walks into is life or death, flight or fight, and uh, it's full of that tension, and I missed some of that in the description, but only having, you know, listened once, I don't know how to make that, but I think you're right, I think it's in the verbs. Yeah. Did you want to say something, Joey? Yeah. Um, great, we, we just have a few minutes left, and I thought um, to end this little segment, um, since, uh, you know, you guys, uh, you, know, you got a lot of uh, criticism, a lot of ideas about these different things. These people worked hard to put this description together. So, for this last one, 
I want you to do some describing. Uh, we'll look at a little bit of this, and, and, or even while it's playing, throw out some words that you think might work. And I thought this, I downloaded this last night, and I thought it was very appropriate to this week here. Um, and it's on, the, uh, it's on the, the, the YouTube and the Facebook and all going around as, as one of the best examples of fireworks display. All right, and, and you're, you're, only, you're only allowed to use the word burst once, okay? So how do you, what, do you, what do you think there? What, what, how, what, some words, what would you, yeah, Debbie? Wouldn't she use burst with every word? <laughs> I mean, one time, at the beginning of yeah, every yeah. Oh, it's a fireworks display. Yeah, I, I thought I mentioned that, but it, it, it uh, yeah, some of them, you know, the, the, the bursts take different shapes, like planets of the solar system, and, and hearts, and, well, okay, hold on, Carl, uh, Jane, and then Carl. With each burst, a new explosion of color takes a different form, and then you could go on to describe different forms. That, now, I grew up watching fireworks, so I remember what they used to look like. So if you said concentric, it would work for me, but would it work for someone who, who was born blind and has never seen fireworks? So I don't, you could describe it with less for me, but I'm not sure you could for a totally blind person. Well, you know, you get into <coughs> the, the level of vocabulary and such. I mean, 
is concentric. That may be, you know, we always say uh, in America we're, we're shooting for eighth grade, basically. Don't go much beyond that. Um, and uh, is concentric, uh, at, you know, edging up there into high school level? I don't know. Anyway, other thoughts? Or, oh, Susan Glass has got her hand up there like a good educator, student person. Yes. Um, I, um, I assumed because it says fireworks display that this is supposed to be a happy occasion. I have to tell you that that music is terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. It starts out and it sounds like the saddest part of an Oliver Stone movie. And then, <laughs> and then it gets no. I'm serious. Yeah. I was I was feeling sick to my stomach. I and oh, I thought, boy. is this a statement about? Is there a you know? Oh, so so somebody help me. What's going? There was nothing happy in that soundtrack. It was frightening. It was absolutely terrifying. If, I would be curious to know if anybody else had that reaction. It just. Yeah, interesting. I yeah, uh, Joyce, and then we'll. Uh, uh, Fra uh, Francisco, then Joyce, and then we'll, we'll, we have to move on. Just uh, real quickly. Um, in that case, uh, I think it would be uh, necessary to say, like, what colors, flashes, uh, you know, what movements uh, the lights go, what forms, what shapes. And it has to be a rather uh, fast narration with, uh, you know, lots of energy, because we're talking here about... Uh, you know, bursts and uh, firecracks. So it's uh, yeah. it has to have like energies, colors, uh, movements, and uh, where it goes to the right, to the left, up, or uh, you know, in front. And you know, it, it has to give that uh, bright idea. Yeah. No, that's right. And that's Joyce, the, uh, I usually uh, say in uh, Portuguese that <laughs> you know, it's uh, sometimes you have like instead of the audio description. Audio destruction. Oh. And, and that sound, <laughs> that song there was kind of a destruction. Audio distraction. You know. And Joyce will have the final word here. How about that? Thank you. There's a lot, a lot to say there. But going from general to specific, I mean, I don't know how obvious it, it would be that it's a night sky, and there's also a full moon in the sky, sure. which is in the background with the fireworks going off. Sure. In front of I that. think you're, so I you're think that's absolutely pretty, right. Mention that first in a night sky yep. lit by you know a full moon, that's whatever, right, et cetera. Sure. Great. Well, I hope this was fun and uh, you know worthwhile and somewhat substantive or whatever to just uh, take a look at a little description and think about how uh, it what's effective, what's not effective. I've got a few other clips, but that will do it for now. Um, uh, what I'd like to do now, of course, is just move into our final session audio description around the world. And we're going to hear from people literally all around the world. Uh, while I start uh, firing up some Skype connections, can I uh, please invite Diane and Bernd and Francisco to come on up here. And I'm going to try and get the rest of this panel on Skype. And, um, and then we'll kick this off.
mouse not connecting here. Why not? What's happening there? Let's try a different one. Oh boy. I am we have got an internet problem, I think. to have an internet problem. All right. Um, why don't we, um, what happened? We lost Diane. Where is that? Okay. Well, I'll keep trying one or two more away for Diane, and um, I'm not exactly sure why. I'm sorry? I, well, I'm waiting for anybody right now, because it, I, I, it's not connecting internet-wise. I'm having a problem here, I think. Oh, yeah, 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 sure. Okay, maybe that was the issue. Let's, okay, yes, yes, I'm sure. Um, let's try.
Kelly, are you there? Okay, hold on. It's the 5th of July, quarter past 10. Hi, Nicola. Nicola. Hi, uh, how you doing? Hi. Oh my goodness, we got video. All right, let's kick this off here. I'm going to try and connect uh, one or two uh, Hi. Uh, other people. Hold on a second. Can we reconvene, folks? Hello. Yes. Hold on a sec. Oh, look who's there with you. <laughs> Prashant. You must just assist me here for a moment, huh? Please. Hi, Shaquilla. I have to turn the volume Good. up. Shaquilla is there. All right, folks. Hello. <laughs> can we can we try to to get going here? Um, we have with us. Hold on a second, folks. We have with us, of course, live and in person. Hello. Joe? Yes, hi Shaquilla, how are you? Fine. Okay, am hold I on. on. Hold on, on Shaquilla, okay? Sorry? Yeah, it's okay. We have uh, Brazil and Germany and Canada at the table with us and on the phone. Yeah, uh, on the phone we have South Africa and New Zealand and <laughs> with a baby on her lap and the UK, Sonali Rai, uh, that's Nicola Owen in New Zealand, and Shakila Maharaj uh, in South Africa. Let's just start. Yes, Mark. Okay, good, good idea. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if, <laughs> if the people on Skype can, can hear me, put your mute button on until I call on you. Okay, there you go. Thank you, Nicola. Oh, it's, I'm going to keep the picture up, though, because we love to see the baby. That's great. So let's begin um, uh, at the table here, folks. Let's begin with our, our neighbor to the north, 
Diane Johnson. Let's just, uh, Diane, I want you to just tell us a little bit about how you perceive uh, distinctions between Canadian description, how you do description in Canada and in, in the U.S., if there are distinctions that you can, can help us with. Uh, Jolyn, do you have the other microphone? Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what we just basically want to have everybody be introduced to uh, the folks and what they do in the different countries. I don't think that there is a lot of difference between Canadian description and U.S. description. I think all of the guidelines that we've shared with, um, you know, all the other people that we're all working on, working with, uh, are very similar. There's nothing really at all that stands out. You know, you might say that we would add in A after we say <laughs> things. <laughs> but we don't. Eh? But we don't. Good, good, good. But what about um, the, the uh, climate for description in Canada? I mean, I think we've, we've alluded to it being uh, far more hospitable, perhaps, mm -hmm. than in the United States. Can you speak to that for a little bit? Yeah, there's a lot of difference there. Sorry, I thought you were referring no, to no. how we describe. But yes, both. Um, we've been doing description in Canada since 2003 when it was mandated by the government. And um, so I would say we're much further along with description and the need for it. Uh, the U.S. is catching up quickly, which I'm really glad to see. But when I opened Descriptive Video Works in, US, in the U.S. four years ago and came and talked to broadcasters about it, they were all hoping it would go away. And uh, as we all know, in 2002, it was mandated, and then they complained, broadcasters complained, and uh, everything changed. And I really think that that was the case. That's no longer the case, especially with Netflix now doing audio description. That's made a huge difference. Um, I have to say, when I was at NAB, there was a conference there um, for people that were working with Netflix, and I was really impressed in the room how many people are excited about audio description, and I think that they've really uh, set the bar, and it's making a big, big difference. So, uh, and in Canada, we, you know, we have our descriptive video best practices guidelines that have been approved by the CRTC, which is, of course, like your FCC in the right. U.S., They've been approved by Canadian uh, Association for Broadcasters as well. And it, to me, uh, with those guidelines, as long as we can ensure that they're being uh, met, uh, will make sure that the level of description is the high quality that we have to have. And uh, that's one of my big flags yeah. that I wave, is that the description's got to be good. If it's not good, then don't even bother. I, I love that, Diane. And, and it echoes Rick Boggs's comments about, you know, let's not um, do what happened with captions in the United States. It had to wait 30 years before enough people who are deaf complained about, my God, that's not what they're saying up there. The words on the screen are not. And now, finally, the FCC's doing something about it. Uh, that's great, Diane. Uh, Bernd Benecke is here with us uh, from uh, Germany, and he just got here today. He is the director of the description program at Bayerischer Rundfunk. Wonderful. There yes. you go. <laughs> and he does, he supervises description in, in, uh, for a great many programs in Germany, as well as Austria and Switzerland. Is that right? Yeah, that's yep. true. Yeah. That's right. And, and I also want to mention that something I admire, and Rick uh, focused on this, is that uh, Bernd uh, makes a point of working with consumers uh, on the de development of the scripts 
so they, he has that same kind of uh, QC that uh, Rick spoke about. Can you tell us a bit of, just a few minutes about the state of description in Germany and what you're doing there? Yeah, well, the first thing, uh, because this has to do with, with how we work with blind people in the process of, of doing audio description, um, because it uh, changed a little bit, um, and this is a little bit of pity, because what we had is the same as in the U.S., that we have a big increase, a lot of more description coming up, uh, mainly on t television. Uh, the reason for that is that you may know that, of course, we have private broadcasters, but we have what we call um, broadcasters under public law. This is not really state TV, but this is uh, a TV where you have to pay a fee for, and there you, therefore you get uh, programs for education and news programs, and of course you get entertainment, you get all the, the big sports events. And my company is part of a network of the nine regional companies who form together what is the ARD, uh, one of the biggest networks, TV networks in the world. And what the change in the regulation of the fee came in 2013, because, interesting, the court says that the point that people with disabilities doesn't have to pay the fee for TV is a kind of discrimination, a kind of positive discrimination, but uh, being blind or deaf doesn't mean you're poor and uh, are not able to, to pay for radio and TV. So they changed this. Uh, blind people, deaf people have to pay now a reduced fee for TV and in return um, we on a voluntary basis offer more programs with uh, subtitles or captions as we call them in the US and more programs with AD. And we concentrate on our main channel, Das Erste, which means the first. Uh, this is the channel where we have all the film premieres and we have the big sports events. Maybe you know that uh, Germans are a little bit crazy about uh, soccer or football, <laughs> as we call it, and we're now steeply in the European Championship awaiting the semifinal against Germany against France on Thursday. And this is all done now with live audio description. And uh, we do all that is on the prime time on our first channel, which is fictional and documentary, uh, and of course the big sports events with audio description, which gives us uh, nearly 50% of described programs on the prime time channel. Uh, the rest would be news programs, magazines, stuff where you would say, okay, did we need this for talk shows, whatever. This is something. Uh, for a 24-hour basis, uh, this is something like 20%. Uh, on, the, on the other channels, uh, away from the Premier Channel, it's less. Uh, we on our BR TV have something like 10% on a 24-hour basis and something like 20% um, on, the, on the prime time. We have all this, what we call on the Mediathek. This is in the Internet, where you can watch everything for seven days or maybe four weeks after we, we aired it. So you can have a description there. And what we have for our Bavarian Daily, uh, you can have it with audio description as an audio podcast. Uh, and you get it web first. So you get on Friday evening the four episodes of the upcoming week with a description on your device. Wow. So this wow. is what's happening on TV. The bad thing for TV is there's zero description for the private broadcasters. There's no regulation for uh -huh. that. So we're the big ones uh, on that field. And just a little thing, um, we had a kind of European survey about audio description 
in Europe, which makes us now number two after the UK. And well, with the UK uh, trying to leave the EU, this would make us uh, number one. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> um, <laughs> first, uh -huh. little Germany UK thing going well, there. Yeah. I don't <laughs> please stay. Please stay. <laughs> <laughs> For cinema, there's there's another regulation coming up in 2014. <laughs> Uh, every film that needs public funding, and for German TV, nearly every film has public funding, has to have subtitles, captions, and audio description when it goes into cinema. This is fantastic. This works. Although there are two problems. One thing is the quality. The producers want it as cheap as they can have oh it, boy. which is a pity, because sometimes we are co-producers and we can't use what was done for cinema. We have to redo the description because the quality is really, really low. Mm. And we mm. try to get into the process um, when it goes to cinemas. Second thing is nobody thought when this regulation can, came up on the delivery of the description. So there is audio description for a lot of films but the technique to get this to the blind people in the cinema <laughs> is really the problem. The audio description is on the DCP, the digital copy, but cinemas normally have not the equipment to put this on a mobile device for the blind people. Mm. Because the cinema says, okay, there's this app, and maybe you heard about this yeah. app called Greta, Greta Inspires, um, yeah. and you download the audio description uh, before you go into the cinema on your mobile device, Normally it works good because the app uh, recognizes the film you're watching and then the description starts. The problem is the marketing concept of Greta is that producers have to pay <coughs> something like 1,000 <laughs> euro for delivering it to Greta, which means that the description is there, but producers want to save this 1,000 euro, <laughs> so no description no. in cinema. That's great. For streaming, um, the uh, only thing is uh, Netflix plans German AD, but as far as I know, there's no German AD. Now you can sometimes receive the, the, the English audio yeah. description. I think they're moving to uh, Brazilian, <coughs> Portuguese, and uh, yep. Spanish. They, they opened a lot of markets because yeah. when I was here two years ago, there were Netflix people here. That's right. And yes, because that's they right. wanted to start, and they started at the end of right. 2014 in Germany. And yeah, let's go to the, the because well, yeah, yeah. Let's go. Let's go. What, what Joel asked about how we we work with blind people. When oh when yeah. I have to say, when we started description, and I started in 1989, it was for, for me it was clear blind people have to be in the process. Uh, my my best friend and colleague, he is blind, mm. and he, when I started as a describer, he was my partner. So we <laughs> did this in a team, and we had a third person. Uh, so we were two sighted and one one blind person, and this was our concept. Until 2013, we have to say, because with this amount of programs we had to do, we had yeah. to, well, we had to think about can we do some problems, some programs uh, without this team, which of course is expensive. So for big programs, for cinema and for big TV movies, there's still sure. this team of two sighted and one blind people sure. writing the text. Of course, there's always a quality control with blind people, and Alma, my colleague. He's our director in the sound studio. Yeah. This is the important thing that there's, in the last step, there's always a blind person here. Away from this, this team of three people, we sometimes use two people, that one side it works with one blind, uh, and if we have for our daily or for some very simple series, we have only one describer. We, of course, we have one 
uh, blind people doing the quality control, or in the end, it's Elma in the studio who says, no, this is yeah. not working. Yeah, yeah. So you know, uh, let me go back to Diane for a second. Do you mind, uh, Ben, only because I want to hear, I want to be reminded, and, and uh, there are going to be people in the audience here who are not aware of the mandate or levels or what, what that's about in Canada. Uh, what are the requirements? It'd be great to hear that from each country. In Canada, uh, in the next two years, um, a hundred percent of our prime time has to be described. Whoa. So that's mandated. A hundred percent of prime time television programming within the next two years needs to be described. That's Are you listening, FCC? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. As it should be. You know, you think about where the levels closed captioning are at, and uh, we need to bump it up with audio description. Oh, but I love what Rick was saying, uh, you know, about seeing it increase quadruple in the next seven years, it's going to, like you can yeah. just feel it. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, you know, it took us 30 years to get captioning, 40 years to get captioning up to 100%. Diane, that's amazing but to hear. But may, may, may I ask, what does this mean, 100% of audio description? Are you doing description then for news programs? Prime time. And for, or for, for talk shows? or, or what? Because I, I would say if we have 50% now, we, we can't go up more because there's... Well, there's yeah, but it's prime time, isn't that right? Yeah, it would be prime time. And one of the things that we're encouraging uh, our news, even though, you know, like with news, um, some of them have taken training that we do so that I do training with news reporters and yep. um, anchors, explaining to them how to include audio description in the newscast that they're doing. So Perfect. it's some people call it embedded. It's not necessarily that. It's having an awareness so they're yep. understanding you know, if they're standing in a park and doing a news report, instead of just doing the news report, they add in, and we're in the park today doing this yep. report. So it, it just becomes part of it, and it's part of the natural yep. flow. Self-description. I coach people, speakers at conferences and educators all the time. You know, they're not going to have paid describers at them everywhere or amateurs, anything. Do it yourself, you know, and here are some basic rules or fundamentals. Uh, let's go. Let's go south now uh, to uh, Brazil and uh, Francisco. Can you tell us just a bit about the state of description in Brazil? Uh, I guess perhaps uh, with a focus on broadcast uh, and if there are any mandates, that sort of thing. Good afternoon again. Um, well, uh, audio description started in Brazil uh, as it has uh, happened in many other countries. Uh, with some people just, you know, describing what they uh, thought uh, it should be described in the way they thought it should be described. And it was back there in the late 90s, uh, 1999. Uh, it is the first time that we uh, heard of some, someone working without a description. And at that time, the person did not even know that was auto description and did not call that auto description. But uh, basically, that was uh, the description of uh, movies, and they discussed afterwards what the uh, movies were uh, about and so on. And that tech was more like a, a philosophy class. Mm -hmm. um, later on, 2003, uh, these folks from Rio Janeiro visited uh, Germany, and they learned about auto description. They saw auto description there, and they said, oh, 
this should uh, happen uh, in Brazil as well. And they went back and this, they started auto-describing movies without uh, you know, having any contact with people with visual disability at first. And of course, when the, uh, you know, the movies were out and they were showing the movies and so on and getting uh, people from different uh, uh, institutions to go and watch the movies, they start getting some feedback that were not exactly, you know, they thought it would be. And basically, uh, they keep on doing about the same way. Um, uh, some other people uh, in Sao Paulo also started working with auto description and now getting some input from uh, uh, people who are blind or have low vision, but still not working directly as far as uh, writing uh, the scripts or uh, anything like that. But they got you know many uh, people to kind of uh, you know just. Uh, comment on the auto description and they started also uh, with auto description in um, theaters and opera and stuff like that. In 2008 uh, there was the first meeting, a national meeting on auto description and the idea was to invite the uh, uh, television folks to learn what auto description was and uh, well, what they did was many, uh, you know, the groups that were then auto-describing uh, wanted to show uh, what they did and somehow, you know, get the market for them. So there was, you know, people from Rio, from Sao Paulo, from uh, um, Minas, which are, you know, basic, very big uh, states in the uh, southeast of Brazil. And there were some people from the northeast and uh, uh, from uh, Sierra, which is further in the northeast, and uh, Bahia, and uh, Pernambuco. And uh, these people were basically people from universities, and they were not only uh, you know, uh, doing auto description, but they were researching, and they were uh, looking up for ways of doing that, uh, reading literature and so on. So uh, it turned out that the television people did not show up and uh, then we did what uh, basically was done here a few moments ago. We started showing our works and uh, discussing. And that was the first time we, you know, Brazilian people really uh, you know, started discussing what auto description was. There was this list, in, you know, an uh, um, internet group uh, discussing auto description, and basically what they wanted is uh, was to create rules for auto description, and well, uh, auto description is uh, part of a translation. It's a visual translation. Uh, you cannot really rule a translation. the The work will say uh, what to be translated, how and when, and so on and so forth. Uh, so there was a big discussion, but, uh, you know, uh, besides that, we started uh, advocating for audio description. In uh, 2010, we have this mandate uh, 
that talked about auto description, but was just like a, a few hours uh, a week. Mm. And uh, it should go up to 20%, 20 hours, 20 hours yeah. in uh, 10 years. So by 2020, we would have 20% of uh, auto description, 20 hours per week of uh, auto description. Well, it turned out that uh, last year there was a new mandate and that was based upon uh, on the uh, CRPD. Are you guys uh, related to that? CRPD, Convention of Right of People with Disability. And uh, related to that, the mandate says, under no circumstances can uh, copyright be used to impede full accessibility. And then uh, explicitly says that audio description must be in advertisements, on websites, movies, conferences, and so on. So from now on, it is mandated that we do have that. There is this prior mandate then that says only 20 hours, mm -hmm. but we've got to you know, uh, overcome that. And last but not least, uh, there's uh, the point that uh, auto description is now being doing for books, uh, textbooks, children books, and again, no copyright issue can be raised to avoid children to get full access and have equal op yeah. equal opportunity with their peers. That's yeah, that's great. Wow. Um, my understanding is that the CRPD, you know, has not does not have the force of law, um, as with many conventions that come out of the United Nations. Individual countries take it or leave it, basically. And so, uh, even in Brazil, at least they're aware of it and there's a consciousness of it. Getting to a few hours, I mean, this sounds almost like modeling it after the United States. Uh, but I want to go now to Sonali Rai. Um, Sonali, if you can unmute yourself. Sonali is at the Royal National Institute for Blind People and has been a driving force there uh, and in the UK for description. <laughs> and, and in the UK, uh, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, Sonali, uh, <laughs> we talk about, Rick, Rick mentioned two or 3,000 hours is what our little mandate amounts to. I think there's upwards of 100,000 hours of description in the UK now. Sonali, maybe you can flesh that out for us a little bit uh, and, and a little bit about um, the various programs that RNIB sponsors. Sports description has come up here already, uh, et cetera. Uh, but uh, thank you for joining us, Sonali. It's late there. No, that's all right, Joel. Thank you very much for inviting us to be a part of the discussion. Uh, so it's a pleasure. Um, so I can't say whether it's 3,000 or 4,000. I think I'm numeric I've got numeric dyslexia, but it's a lot. It's, it's, it's definitely a lot. <laughs> so uh, the Broadcasting Act of 2000, no, it's actually it's the Communications Act of 2003, mandates that at least 10% of all programs uh, on every channel should be audio described. 
Now, in actual fact, uh, the four leading broadcasters in the UK, which comprise actually of about 25 channels, they have voluntarily committed to describing 20% of their content. But if you look at the Ofcom figures, which is our regulatory authority, they're much higher. So uh, quite a lot of channels touch up to about, let's say, 30% or even 40%. But I think it should be taken into account that a lot of them are repeats. So I would watch Big Bang Theory for breakfast with audio description, for lunch and for dinner. So, <laughs> so those are the number of repeats. But yes, it's still, if, if sighted people are watching Big Bang Theory for lunch and breakfast and dinner, so should blind people then in that case. Uh, um, I think moving on, sorry, Joel, I think you broke up a bit. Do you want me to talk about uh, cinema as well or video on demand? Sure, cinema. Are there, specific, um, and, are there specific areas that you'd like me to talk well, about? Well, cinema, I, I think, uh, uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, the UK with one-sixth our population has ten times the DVDs with description um, than we do. Uh, but So a little bit about cinema, a little bit about uh, live description, which is very active uh, in performing arts in museums, I know. And, uh, and also, uh, well, the sports description, and I, do, I don't want you to forget the Bollywood project. Oh, dear. <laughs> how can I forget the Bollywood project? So the Bollywood project, uh, that's how I joined RIB, uh, was launched in 2008. And the aim was to explore the potential of audio description on Bollywood films. Now, for those of you who don't know, Bollywood films are Indian films, but Indian films uh, that are in Hindi language. They're mm -hmm. fairly popular, and they're popular because of the song and dance content. So it's very challenging. Roy Joel, were you saying something? <laughs> um, so we tested. We had uh, qualitative trials as well as quantitative trials. And uh, obviously, the results were quite positive. People wanted to uh, want a description. Uh, there's a certain flavor to these films, so how you describe them would be slightly different. But again, description is valuable. Uh, that was the point. So following that, 20th Century Fox released the first Bollywood film, their first Bollywood release, with description in both Hindi and English, which was not just in cinemas, but also on the DVD. And following that, we've had a few more DVD releases. Um, now, talking about live description, I think we've got significant amount of live description in the UK. Again, we're talking about theatres. I've just uh, finished a paper on uh, live description on UK television. I think that's one area where we're failing miserably because we don't have any description on live content on broadcast television at all. Mm. Um, we've only had two instances. So one was the Paralympic ceremony in 2012 and the Olympic ceremony in 2012. But uh, if you're talking about theater, of course, there are a lot of performances. Though I don't put much on... Uh, uh, my, my focus is not theater, but again, I recently attended a conference, and from that I gathered the problem is uh, the theaters are describing, so there are performances regularly scheduled in theaters with description, but the word is not getting out to real end users. Hmm. So the, not that many audiences, people are coming to the theater, and that's one of the challenges for description users in the UK at the moment, especially people who are interested in theaters. So we need to work more on audience development. Well, we've, we've talked about that here, too, over the last three days. Um, we have challenges in getting 
audience members there, although I'll tell you one of the, uh, I've got to tell you, uh, Sonali, one of the, um, the documents that I oftentimes share with folks when I do training is uh, a, a marketing document uh, developed by one of your predecessors, Marcus Wisen, on how to get people out and mm -hmm. in the seats. Uh, so I, I tip my hat to uh, RIB. Maybe send it back to me. <laughs> yeah. How about, uh, do you want to speak a little bit about the cinema? And um, uh, I, I also, uh, I was speaking with Derek Brandon um, not too long ago. He seemed to think that the uh, UK, your local cinema site, uh, may not, uh, may not uh, survive much longer due to some budget cuts. Maybe you can speak to that. I think that's really unfortunate, but uh, well, I, I think that's probably up to the Cinema Association in the UK. Now, just to say, so about 50% or, or actually over 50% of all UK cinemas deliver description, which means uh, there are over 10,000 screenings of all described films per month. And all major Hollywood studios describe 100% of their film output every week. Uh, it's delivered at every screening of the movie, and uh, I I'm sure it's uh, as it's in the U.S. It's they use infrared headsets that you collect from the box office. Now, more often than not, the audio description track is also carried onto the DVDs. So we do have a, number, a lot of DVDs again with description. Uh, your local cinema was one of the sites that listed all the DVDs right. that were released with description. Now, I think your local cinema is its a fantastic service, and especially for people who use subtitles. Well, I, I won't like to go into the details, but I, the no. UK Film Cinema Association yeah. decided to replace it with a new service, which will be launched with, I, I think, the end of this month. I see. So, okay, that explains... Which will allow users to filter through different regions and which film they want to watch, which uh, show they'd like to watch, yeah, and which feature they want. So there is a new service that will replace your local cinema. Okay. What well. one one other one last item, uh, Sonali, and then I'm going to move to South Africa. Who? Um, but um, the uh, we spoke earlier. One of our award winners this year. Uh, went to a group in Brazil in Sao Paulo that is doing a lot of work with sports description. Uh, tell us um, about the activity there in the UK because I know it's been, it's been quite active. It, it has been quite active. Um, so in fact, we did a lot of work during the Olympics, uh, so, uh, the London Games 2012. But even before that, so we've got uh, some of the main sports channels. Again, the mandate stat stands. 10% of, uh, of your output has to be audio described. But quite often, uh, I think the broadcasters were relying on the radio, sort of the radio commentary, right. and we worked with them. It, it has to be explained. I think you need to create awareness and need to explain the needs of uh, audio description users. So as it stands right now, there is significant amount of description in stadiums. So there's live description in stadiums. People can again take infrared headsets and they will be able to listen to the description. It's, there is special description on, um, on, on obviously sports channels. And a lot of sports documentaries are described. That was something that we were asked about whether people would be interested in sports documentaries. I said, yes, of course, why not? Uh -huh. uh, so there are blind and partial sighted sports fans, so would be much appreciated. So if you look at uh, BT Sports, uh, they've got a, a, quite a few documentaries with description now. Wow, 
that that's great. Yeah, and I was I was particularly thinking of the live description at uh, arenas and stadiums and such because I know mm -hmm. that happens a great deal. Well, Sonali, thank you so much. Uh, you're welcome to stay on the line with us. I know it's uh, getting to be a little late there. Uh, you're about seven hours ahead of us, I think. Uh, six hours, seven hours ahead of us. Um, and but uh, actually, South Africa is even further ahead of us. Uh, <laughs> Shakila, I couldn't leave Shakila there alone. Yes, Shakila. Hi, hi, Joel. There you go. I was going to make I'm sure nice. you unmuted Just yourself. Just jumping out a bit to answer. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Uh, uh, Shakila Maharaj is an audio description consumer and a such a dynamic force uh, in spreading the good word about audio description throughout South Africa. Uh, I was quite honored to train describers under uh, Shaquilla's uh, um, uh, rubric, uh, her company there in, in Durban and Johannesburg and Cape Town. Shaquilla, tell us about the state of, of description there in South Africa. By the way, I was not able to hook in with William Rowland. Dr. Rowland is a former president of the World Blind Union from Pretoria. Um, but uh, Shaquilla, maybe you can, um, I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, I know you have a major success story. Uh, we, we heard about audio description in Hindi uh, in the UK, um, and it also is in India, by the way, as well, uh, to a limited extent. Uh, Shaquilla, can you tell us a little bit about audio description in Zulu? Okay. Well, first, first, first of all, can you hear me clearly? Yes. Okay. Thank you very much, Joe, for including us in this presentation. and. I want to say that in South Africa, we're way behind. When I listen to your other speakers, we've a lot to, to catch up with, and we're very much at that pioneering stage. Um, in terms of Zulu, that, let, let me just fast track and go to that particular project. Uh, there, there was a television series called Sticks and Stones, a telenova, and we approached uh, our national broadcaster, SABC, South African Broadcasting Corporation, and Channel One with, um, with the wish to include description. And finally, I think after a year of, of, of cajoling and whatever convincing, they agreed. And so the first challenge was to train um, describers in the, you know, in Zulu language. And that went very well. And then after that, the whole technical part, part of it of getting the description done and then integrated into the visual tracks. But the, the best part was when the project was concluded and when the national broadcaster actually saw the end result, uh, we did not have to do much to convince them to screen it. Hmm. And in less than two months after the completed uh, product, they went ahead and screened it. It was a 13-part series, and it ran but, you know, from September to December. And really, it was, for us, that was a huge accomplishment, although the audience was not prepared for it at all. And, and we had to, alongside the, the shows being screened, trying to, we tried to encourage people to watch. Uh, unlike the countries you've already interviewed in South Africa, mm -hmm. awareness around audio description is still very limited. The awareness is growing gradually within the industry, uh, but among the consumers, the end users themselves, 
few few individuals are aware of this wonderful facility available to us and how we should support its growth in South Africa. So part of my uh, objective in running the company we've set up is to create a greater understanding about the service, a greater need and demand for the service. And so we run uh, free free movie shows with description on it and invite persons to come along so that they can begin to understand the value of watching a film independently and understanding it from beginning to end. So we've been doing those sort of initiatives as well. Do you want to ask me something else? Because I can go on. Well, yeah, I mean, I know, <laughs> I know it's been a, a particular interest of yours and, and desire of yours to spread audio description across yes. all sectors, all genres. Tell us a bit about that beyond media. Uh, what have you yes. been able to work on there? Well, okay, you know, when we, first of all, I, I became aware of description when I first met you, Joel, and when I attended the ACB uh, convention myself. I, I thought before that it was an informal uh, service provision that we just benefited from. Until I heard you and attended your course, I didn't realize it was uh, a formalized service. Uh, and an art form. And of course, I went back to South Africa completely uh, thrilled with this discovery and wanted to immediately spread the word. So our first initiative was to look at how could we create skills in this industry uh, or create skills in, in this area. And so we brought you out then and we combined your visit with achieving many objectives. One was to develop skills and you trained over 70 persons across South Africa and the three major cities. The other was to, to showcase a movie with description on it. And at the time, we chose Slumdog Millionaire because it was right. quite popular. Right. And that went down really well. We, got, we could not get the major cinemas like Sturkinikor or the, the New Metros, which is your international networks. But we ended up getting um, a local provider who owned cinemas who supported the initiative, and he screened in his cinemas across the country the film, and we invited blind persons or visually impaired persons to come along with a sighted companion. And uh, people actually left the cinema crying. They were so moved by the fact that they could watch uh, or understand a film from beginning to end without any assistance. And, and their sighted companions also left so moved. So that was really great. And uh, but since then, we've tried to be involved in various things. Uh, we've, we, one thrust has been to approach the broadcasters, and out of that then came the Zulu TV series. But alongside working with the broadcasters was to look at how could we influence their policies and their codes. And uh, we worked with the broadcasting uh, authority called ICASA, the international, uh, no, not international, but Information and Communication Broadcasting Authority. And out of that, there's a draft policy and code. It hasn't gone beyond that because audio description is always seen, once people understand what it is, they, they see it as um, a nice to have, hmm. given the, the, the broader context of the South African social, you know, social political scene here. So it's constantly having to use the convention on the rights of persons with disabilities and various other rights-based documents, international and local, 
to 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 support our case and insist on on this being a rights issue and and encourage that they address it as such and and provide the service so there's been slow progress on that in you know in that regard there was a, a draft code that came out a few years ago to date we don't know who drafted it but it <laughs> it came out <laughs> it it was drafted by uh, some individuals that the broadcasters and the various authorities uh, uh, brought together, and it had very ambitious objectives for captioning and for audio description, say 50% in that year and 100% of all programs in the following year. Wow. We, we then, as the only uh, audio description company in, in South Africa, we then submitted a lengthy document based on international best practice and suggested the uh, various things from, from the technical side to the actual uh, quantity and, and, and so forth. And, uh, but to date, that, that draft has remained a draft and hasn't gone any further. So there isn't any mandate that uh, legislates the broadcaster to provide description right. or a percentage. What the, uh, uh, and that's, I'm talking specifically about the national broadcasters, but, but on the other hand, uh, we've got the multi-choice, which is our satellite uh, networks. And they were very supportive. They attended your training, that was Mnet. Yeah. And out of that, almost immediately, they started to showcase uh, films with, with description, but you had to have a certain type of uh, decoder, yeah. high, uh, high definition one to be able to access the film. But just recently, they've, they've introduced a separate channel. And whenever there is a program that happens to have description, and these would be their international purchases, none that are locally produced, whenever that is available, then you're able to go to this other channel and activate the description track, and then listen to it on that. Um, right. So, yeah. so there is that that that's available, but it's very limited. Sure. In terms yeah. of local yeah. local productions, there's there's little, there's nothing actually. Local, as in live description. I was going to ask you about that uh, for performing okay, arts it, it, or museums. Well, when I when I mention local, I mean in terms of local mo movies produced ah, or yes. local documentaries. Yes. I've been working closely now with uh, the various, uh, again, the various organizations, script writers, movie makers, producers, creating awareness around description and encouraging uh, the inclusion of description. We, there's been a lot of excitement around it, but what they, they do want is that you provide funding and not and yeah. for it not to become an additional cost to them. Right. So at this stage, I'm also looking at how do we go out and source funding, and I may need to then adopt the Indian model when I was speaking to Dependra, where for, uh, you know, where they do source funding specific to a movie or a documentary uh -huh. and then get it done. So it's, yeah. it's that kind of thing. But to come back to live performances, yes. no, uh, We've got very exciting theater here and in, you know, in, in, in all the different ethnic languages and that cuts across 
cultures, but unfortunately, no description. Mm. Again, we've been working closely in creating awareness with the theatres. And if you can provide the service as a volunteer and for free, and then ensure <laughs> the theatres that you will have a blind audience at it, then they're happy to, to go that route. So we're also looking at that. I've been trying to recruit volunteers to see if we can even start to stimulate interest, uh, create products that will then give rise you know, to, sure. to demand. So sure. it's just been an upward battle in, the, in, in that respect. But at the same time, when I first started out and now, the word audio description is, is far better known. Right. If you talk to anyone, they know immediately what you're talking about. Also, uh, awareness among the blindness sector and the visually right. impaired is far greater. More and more are accessing audio description through the internet and joining various movie sites where you subscribe to uh, description tracks sure. and so forth. And uh, so, so in that way, there's been, there's been movement yeah. forward. That's great, Shakila. Um, I know, though, with uh, Shakila Maharaj and people like uh, William Rowland uh, sponsoring or, or promoting, advocating for description throughout South Africa, you're going you're gonna to start moving things real soon. I'm very confident of that in all genres, in all formats. Um, you made me think of something that came up earlier. I think Bernd Benecke is here from Germany, and uh, uh. he also... Um, mentioned this problem sometimes of uh, the set-top box that's being used for television. Uh, you know, does, do, do the consumers have the capacity to receive the signal if the signal is yes. out, coming out? You know, Bernd mentioned that. And I, I, I have to say, I don't know if Sonali's still on the line, as wonderful as things are for description in the UK, when they started doing things on television 10 to 15 years ago, um, they did it for about two years, nobody had access to it because yes. there was a conflict in how people <coughs> in the set-top set boxes needed to receive the signal. So there was a yes. beginning of a mandate, they were doing it, and nobody was listening. But they got past that, and they have zoomed forward. Um, yes. Yeah. Shaquilla, stay with us if you can. Um, I want to go across the ocean uh, uh, to uh, New Zealand, Nic Nicola, if you would uh, open up your microphone there. Got it. And we have video too. All right, uh, which is great. Um, and you have your little one with you. Uh, Nicola is um, a real force in New Zealand. There we go. Uh, we're getting a little bit of feedback. A real force for description in New Zealand. It's been a pleasure to work with her there. Um, and in fact, I must say, uh, of all the describers I've worked with uh, around the world, um, I visited a museum in New Zealand that had some, a gallery that had some descriptions um, by Nicola, and I was so impressed with one. Do you remember that, Nicola? I, I, had, I bought the artwork and had it sent to the United States uh, and then framed uh, Nicola's description, and that's in my office uh, even as I speak. So please, Nicola, tell us how things are going along in New Zealand there for description. 
Great. Well, I'll I'll just begin. And lovely to, to be able to join. I wish we were there in person, but um, wasn't too practical traveling with a one year old. She's she's gone to sleep. All you lovely, soothing audio describer voices have sent her off to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully she'll stay asleep because otherwise she'll probably join in. Um, on the the tele oh hello Hi. on the television I feel like a ventriloquist uh, <laughs> on the television audio description. Unfortunately, in New Zealand, we don't have a mandate. Um, we have a little audio description on what were the former state channels, uh, TV, NZ, one and two. Um, but the funding's just been increased. So we used to have 20 hours. Now we have 30 hours. I did feel for um, the, the UK people talking about those repeats because mostly it's repeats of Coronation Street and Shortland Street. Um, <laughs> And I think most unfortunate, it was interesting listening to Shakila talking about the audio description in Zulu. One of the most unfortunate things is that none of our Māori TV channels, yeah. so our indigenous people's channel, none of that is audio described yet. Um, and that's a huge gap here in New Zealand. Um, and also, unfortunately, none of our TV on demand is available with the audio description. So if you miss it, it's gone. You never see it again. Um, and I know a lot of people, I don't know if I should say this out loud, but a lot of people have their VPN set up to get the BBC on demand <laughs> uh, because we can get audio description on that. So I know a lot of blind people have worked out ways of trying to get uh, overseas content that's audio described because even when it comes here, it's lost its audio description. So things like, doc, you know, stuff we know is audio described, things like Doctor Who, a lot of the BBC right. programs. Um, well, and I you know, know, I know that, you know, I wasn't able to get um, my friends from Media Access Australia on this panel, but I know that um, you, in New Zealand, you import description to some extent from Australia, is that right? Uh, not so much from Australia. We do, we import some of the UK description, particularly. Ah, okay. Um, I think because I'm not sure how much they're doing in Australia. It's just cranking back up again after their pilot finished. Yep. So I'm not too sure um, about Aus Australian stuff, but certainly we get UK stuff. Right. Um, and it tends to be good quality. So things like David Attenborough, um, you know, the the nature programs and stuff, sure. we get some really good quality audio description. Yeah, I think UK. Australia so gets a good bit of. Okay. They get a good bit from the UK as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, we're, we don't have any requirement for government funded films to be described, which I think is one area that we really should be pushing for. Um, and we're also hoping that the Marrakesh Treaty might make a bit of a difference yeah. for stuff coming in, because again, we get a lot of DVDs that come in that we know have been audio described overseas, but we don't get the description on the, the version that gets sent here. Uh -huh. So I think there's a lot of just, you know, advocacy to be done on stuff that we know is already available that really should come in. Um, my focus largely is on live description. Right. Uh, or as you said, sort of written description that's available for for you know stuff that's not television and that is an area that has been expanding quite significantly so both tv and live description really took off in 2011 in new zealand so we're only been going five years um <laughs> but we have sort of made some quite significant progress uh in theater but but more broadly so we have quite a lot of theater we're probably doing do you still have me i don't have your picture but I, we can hear you Okay. So we have a performance, I would say, probably once a month here in Auckland, which is our biggest city. Um, so we usually do a, do a dozen shows a year, including children's theatre, which is uh -huh. really great for building our upcoming audience. Um, but in, 
in addition to that, so we've been doing quite a lot of theatre. Um, we do opera. We've been asked to do contemporary dance. Um, as Joel said, quite a lot of um, sort of art exhibitions um, and museums. Um, the Botanic Gardens is the latest one oh. we've been doing. So looking at descriptions oh. of trees. Yes. Yes. and sculpture and incorporating that into their online application so that people can access that from wherever um, and so so to get it out to a broader audience. Yeah. And the other thing we've had quite a lot of success at is getting our local government to fund description into some of the bigger civic events. Hmm. So our Anzac Day service, um, which is the big um, war memorial service, that's a dawn service, the last two years that's been audio described and sign language interpreted that's been funded by the local council. Um, so that I think those kind of things are really big progress for, for getting for building a bigger audience sure. and getting access to the things that everyone else just takes for granted. Yeah, doing things on a local level sometimes is, uh, yeah. you know, you can make some headway there when you're while you're waiting for national legislation or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, anything else you want to share with us then? Uh, with respect to what's going on, and, and uh, I'm going to open up the floor here to, to questions uh, uh, that if you can stick around with us for a little bit. I think Shaquila and Sonali uh, from South Africa and the UK are still with us. I'm also going to try and hook yes. in again to Pilar Orero in Spain. I thought I had her, but I'm going to try that again. Anything else, Nicola? Um, I think like everybody, the big thing is trying to build that audience. Um, you know, we we've got a reasonable audience but in in order for more people to invest in it i think it needs to grow and so i've taken a few notes of what other people have been doing and the other big thing is sports um we, uh. we haven't had any sport audio described in new zealand again just reliance on the radio coverage um and i think that's an area that we'd really like to move into uh, alongside as i said the the indigenous people the maori uh, language i think yeah. that's going to be our next big thing to pick off no oh, that's fantastic absolutely um, yeah, yeah, you make me think a little bit of what uh, Diane Johnson is with us from Vancouver uh, talking about training uh, newscasters and announcers in doing description. So when they speak, yeah. they've got images, yes. they've got film, they can provide description as they're in their written scripts or, or off uh, the cuff, if you will. Um, perhaps that could happen as well with the um, commentators at sports events uh, in yes. New Zealand. Uh, in that, I yeah. would hope that that's part of their job at, at any event, but uh, perhaps they need to learn, uh, they need to hear from Diane about that. I'm going to just see if I can hook into Pilar. Um, I am not sure if she's, it's the 12.23 a.m. in Barcelona, but that, what the hell, let's wake her up. I don't know. I know Pilar. She's my doctor mother, right? right my, my, my <laughs> yeah, that's true. Thank goodness. Yes. Yes, that's right. Pilar, no Pilar, she probably turned me off, which is, uh, so to speak, uh, which is <laughs> to be expected. Um, let me turn to um, uh, questions that folks hear uh, from our panel, perhaps, just talking uh, to, uh, here's your chance to talk to someone in New Zealand or South Africa or the UK or our illustrious panel here. Any questions from our, our folks in the audience? Oh, come on. Not everybody at once. I don't know sign language. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure. If, yes, uh, Jane. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you can take that microphone. 
Thank. Hold on, hold on. Let me let's get you on a, a microphone so you can be heard clearly. Please forgive the crassness of my question, oh. but I am curious to know in these other locations how audio describers are paid. Are they able to make ah. a living wage? Let's let's turn to our panel uh, right here, and then we'll uh, ask the folks uh, online. Uh, Diane, you want to speak to that? Uh, is it here, I'll pass it Can you repeat the question, Joe? What? Yeah, what she was asking is she's curious in other countries how people are paid. So if it's if they're making money or they're sort of volunteering their time, so to speak, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I'll speak for in Canada. Um, our writers are paid per show, so they're paid not per hour or the amount of time they're putting into the show, um, but they're paid per show. And so if we're really busy, which we are right now, um, a lot of them are making four to $5,000 a month um, writing, and they're all believing that this is a good wage, which I think it is. Uh, the thing that they love about it is that it can be done in their own time. Um, so if they have kids at home, they can do it at nighttime. Um, if they have another job that they are doing as well, they can take a couple of weeks off whenever they want to. Um, most of our writers have been with us for probably nine to ten years, but we're start, you know we're getting a lot of new writers that are being trained. But our training is about a three month program um, before they're sort of on their own. So when you first start. You're not making great money at all, but the great thing is that you understand that once you get going, um, you can make very good money, I think, at it. And again, there's some shows that are easy to do and some shows that aren't. So one of the things that's really important to us is that uh, we spread that out amongst them. So if somebody gets a show that, you know, like Castaway, when we did that, it took the writer ni nine days to write that show, so she was maybe making two bucks an hour, Yet we have shows that are like Dateline that can be written in two hours because, you know, there's things like that. So we always make sure that it's fair between our writers. So. Wow. Yes, we as a broadcaster pay uh, our writers of audio description on a daily basis. So we say, okay, this film is uh, takes five or three, uh, six days to, to describe it, and uh, the, the daily amount is 210 euros, so this would be a little bit more in, in dollar, so maybe 250 something. Um, I have to admit this is the best you can get, uh, because the market is under pressure, uh, and there are a lot of companies who want to pay less, and there are some, I would say, unexperienced describers who take the job just to get the job and work for less. But if you work for us, uh, we guarantee that, well, of course, we may discuss that you have to do this in five days, and not in six or seven. If you sure. need seven days, then it's your problem. I would say, no, this is for an experienced describer. It's a five days film, so it's a uh, thousand euro. Um, but you will get this guaranteed, and there are describers in Germany who take this for a living, yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, that, that's great. Uh, the, uh, you know, sometimes I make this microphone. The, um, um, 
I, I know that when I have describers working on feature films, uh, oftentimes I'll have more than one describer doing it and working together because there are time pressures. Uh, the, the studios want it yesterday. Um, and as long as they're communicating together, and then as long as there's one person reviewing it, as Joyce did for me for many years at the National Captioning Institute, um, then you have continuity, and, and so you avoid issues like that. Um, but so a thousand euros in a week, that's, uh, you know, that's reasonable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, we don't have any taxes in the United States, so. Okay. Francisco, uh, I know it's different in Brazil, but can you speak to that at all, the pay? Okay. Uh, as far as uh, movies for the television, it pays anywhere around $150 up to $400 per film. And uh, that would be a little bit more for uh, cinema. But we're talking here about uh, writing the script. If it's going to be like voiced, and uh, you, know, you can also to edit the movie, then it will add up a little bit more. As far as plays are concerned, uh, it's going to be anywhere around uh, $300. Uh, and if it is like um, um, you know, a conference like this, it would be anywhere around um, uh, $50 per hour. So that's uh, what basically it's going to be paid. And uh, again, it all depends on whom uh, uh, you're going to uh, be contracted by. Uh, some people pay a little bit more. Other people uh, uh, don't pay anything. So they want volunteer work. We do quite a bit of a volunteer work. And most of my students start like pro bono. And then they started like a well, working and uh, today I've trained over 300 people now, and there are at least four different uh, companies auto describing and making that about money. Yeah. And that is, you were speaking of US dollars, not Brazilian or Real. Yeah, American dollars. <laughs> okay. And uh, yeah, I can follow up uh, on what Rick said earlier. Um, it has indeed. The price that studios pay, typically in the United States, is about 25% of what it was uh, back when, um, I'd say the, um, in the 2000s, um, uh, I know a going rate was $2,600 um, per hour, per program hour. Um, WGBH charged far more, actually, and now we hear about $950 or 1000 or 1200 and largely due to automation, um, really, and the uh, automated mixing and, and uh, uh, that Rick spoke of earlier. Um, Shaquilla, can you speak to that in South Africa? Um, is there a pay scale or, or what, what are people used, what do you do in uh, South Africa? Well, it's a little premature here right. because <laughs> I can only talk in terms of the projects that the projects that we concluded, right? And there, I benchmarked against countries, including the USA, and and I used the Writers Guild of South Africa as another benchmark. What did scriptwriters charge? So, like, uh, based on that, uh, 
I cost the service, for example, the project that we did for uh, our national broadcaster, the, the, the Zulu TV series. Uh, if I were to tell you the figure, it probably would sound laughable, oh. but it worked out at 1,500 rands uh, for, for a day, and that was an eight-hour day. Wow. Uh, that was when we first started. And that, based on, on that very low cost, uh, together with all the other costs, the, that Zulu program was then, you know, approved and accepted by, by yeah. the broadcaster. So it was on a very low budget that we did it. Right. Uh, despite that, the, the, the quality of it turned out to be amazing. Great. The, not, not only the voice, but the quality of the, the, the description. Sure. We had an amazing team of describers that varied in age and came from either uh, the mo a movie school. We also had, would you believe it, the, the minister, the previous minister of education for, K for our province, she's now a retired woman and a, a professor in Zulu who wanted to participate in the project. So we had this Good. mixed age group and they came from different perspectives but the language had to be, uh, the type of Zulu had to be compatible sure. with, the, with the actual culture of that program. Yeah. So it was young Johannesburg kind of Zulu that they speak. Right, right. If you can follow that. that it's not... Sure. Yeah. So it, it, was, it was very interesting. But in terms of uh, a profession and what you get paid, I think yeah. we'd be looking to all of you for that kind sure, of guidelines. Sure. And to see, but it's certainly a profession we want to promote. Yeah, that's right. And uh, also among blind, uh, visually impaired persons, you, you know from the outset, my uh, intention was to ensure that people who are blind be, uh, be part of the yeah, process. Absolutely. And then we created a role called uh, description verifiers. Yeah. So no, we've had some good focus on that here already yes. today, Shaquille. Thank you. Diane wants, Diane Johnson from uh, Vancouver wants to speak to that a bit. I just thought of something. When I was doing, when I was saying what our uh, writers are making, it was in Canadian dollars. So sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, All at once I was like, sort oh, of comparable. yeah, that was U.S. Uh, so sort of our dollar is about 25% uh, oh, less 25. than yours. Okay. So, so we're talking probably more around th between three and 4000 We don't feel as bad month. now. Okay. We don't feel as, <laughs> we don't feel quite as bad. But you know, <laughs> audio description its roots are in volunteer efforts in performing yes. arts. And as I oftentimes say, I don't have any problem with people who are volunteers. I have a problem with bad description. And, yes. and the, the, the issue then is, can volunteers take the time needed and study and experience, develop the experience to produce that kind of quality description? It just depends on the situation in a particular community. Um, or, or, or the individuals involved. Um, but I, I will say that um, in performing arts, um, it, it, at least as far as my company is concerned, uh, we pay uh, uh, usually $200 for preparation and then $200 or $250 per performance. Um, for writing scripts, um, you know, the market has gotten so ridiculous um, we, we pay, um, as was mentioned earlier, I think, uh, or uh, Diane mentioned, by the 
by the program hour, if you will, and um, it can range from hundred to hundred fifty dollars for a half hour show, um, and then on up um, comparably. Um, of course, it still then has to be voiced, it has to be recorded, etc. Uh, as Joyce knows very well, I do a great deal of work in museums and visitor centers, and that's generally a fee based for based on a. A tour, depending on the length of the tour, it could be $1,500, $2,000 to develop an audio-described tour, uh, plus expenses, of course, because one has to travel to sites. Um, Sonali, are you still with us? No. Rats, we lost Sonali, because I wanted uh. to hear. Are you there? Sonali? Maybe she muted herself. Did you mute yourself? No. Oh, we lost Nicola, but I know that they're comparable to South Africa. Hi. Nicola. Sonali? Nicola? Oh, there you are. Nicola is there. Nicola, tell us, uh, what, what can you speak to the um, compensation issue in New Zealand? Yeah, um, we've been quite lucky in New Zealand because it was established alongside when they establish New Zealand sign language interpretation in theatre, so and they get paid reasonable rates, so um, so that's kept a reasonable amount for audio describers for live theatre. For um, for something like a big musical, we would always have two audio describers. They'd be paid right. somewhere around about seven hundred US dollars each for preparing and delivering the script once. Um, we get paid somewhere around about another 200 US dollars for subsequent performances. And we also just um, on the quality control, which again, I think is really important. So we would always pay a blind consultant uh, to come into a dry right. run of the show right. uh, and watch it alongside a sighted consultant to get that quality control of, yes. of any of our shows. I'm glad you mentioned yeah. that because I failed Excellent. to mention that. We do that certainly with the museums and with video that we uh, do description for. Uh, and that, that idea of two performers or two describers, um, I'm going to ask Mark over there, Mark Messersmith, does visual voice do that? Because I know Madeline used to do that, two describers at a show, uh, sometimes male and female, or maybe not anymore. They used to with AMT. AMT, okay. American Mu Audio Use my deep voice to... Um, it, it started out, AudioVision would always right. do too. Um, Madeline actually started herself, and she just started using her own voice. Right. So and when she would have other people in, she would just yes. have a single, single yes. voice. She, I know she did start having people in, and, uh, and I think AudioVision, yeah, you're right, they did as well. I don't well. know if they still do. In San Francisco, yeah, I'm not sure either. Um, any other questions as we uh, go into the, the wee hours in... South Africa. Mark, did you I actually have a, have a, a brief question um, that's kind of offline for Dr. Lima. Um, regarding your current government, do you have any uh, <laughs> problems with the bureaucracy, the way it's, uh, things are kind of roiling about there? Do they hinder? Do they help? Do you have advocates that are um, accessible? Well, um, the Office of uh, Human Rights of People with Disability in Brazil never did a good job, uh, but it got worse now with this uh, vice president taking the power against our constitution. But on the other hand, uh, we're still uh, pretty much in advocating 
for the human rights of people with disability. And CRPD uh, now became, actually in 2009, became an amend amendment to our constitution. And uh, for that, you know, the, uh, the government can't do anything because uh, it is a human right clause, which means that to change that, uh, the only way to do that would be like a new constitution. So uh, we uh, were pretty much involved with uh, advocacy and we're getting, uh, you know, away uh, from, uh, you know, whatever political thing is. But of course, less money, less uh, human rights. Are there any plans for um, description of the up upcoming Olympics? Uh, yes, uh, they're working on that on the basis of uh, pro bono work. Uh, we have auto description uh, in sports, as uh, um, uh, Joel Snyder has mentioned, and uh, many people are also getting together to auto describe for local people uh, through uh, their, uh, you know, a group of people watching television and someone auto describing from what they're watching on television as well. So uh, we're going to have both ways. For those people who are there, uh, you know, it's a more organized uh, thing from the uh, uh, group uh, of the Olympics. But uh, in many states, many cities, people are getting together and, uh, you know, someone is auto-describing. So that's the way we get in touch with uh, sports as well. That's great. Um, I wanted to kind of wrap this up with a couple of notes that I took uh, on my own about uh, description as I've understood it in, in different countries where I've worked. Um, I do want to commend to you the World Blind Union's website, wbu.org or worldblindunion.org. They have what they call an audio description toolkit, and it talks about how different countries can help develop description. It talks about what's going on in the different countries uh, with respect to description. Um, and by the way, the World Blind Union is having its um, uh, next assembly uh, right here in the USA in Atlanta in August. And I'll be doing a workshop there. And two years or four years ago in Geneva, I did a, a workshop and also actually described the sessions um, and even bicycle tours of Geneva and that kind of thing. Wow. So World Blind Union is, is really trying to get behind description. Um, I, I looked up a little bit of data to share with you. The earliest known audio described television was transmitted in, not the United States, in 1983 by the Japanese commercial broadcaster NTV. I don't know uh, too much of it. I've, I've done some work in Japan, but don't know much about what's going on there now with respect to description. Um, we've, we've heard from Sonali and how wonderful everything is there in the UK. Um, it's so impressive and so depressing when we think about <laughs> where we're going with it. I do want to mention a couple of other countries that are doing uh, important work and growing with description. Iceland is one of them, believe it or not. Tiny Iceland um, has had audio description tra training uh, I've, twice I've been there, um, to, and they have been focusing on performing arts and um, uh, visual arts and museums and galleries there. Uh, Poland is actually very active 
not only in developing description, uh, you know, there's not a lot of it there yet, but they're very active at developing it, and they are a major center for research in description. Uh, Poland, the UK, I think Germany, um, I, and I think Spain are uh, real centers for, uh, generally the research happens in audiovisual translation programs because what's nice is that description is embraced as a kind of translation. So mm -hmm. subtitlers, people that are skilled linguists are learning about description because they, they see it as a way of translating the visual to the verbal, as I say. Um, and that's kind of, I think that's wonderful and I would love to see more of that happening in the United States and it sure does not, unfortunately. So Poland, Spain, uh, and we've heard from Canada, which has got just great things going. Um, a little bit in France, a little bit in, in the Netherlands, um, and so on. Um, I'll, I'll end, though, by noting that, um, of all places, uh, Russia uh, has a description um, beginning to percolate there, if you will. Um, in, well, I think I mentioned yesterday, uh, my, my book will be out in three different languages at the end of the year, one of which is Russian, of all places, and, and Portuguese, yes, thank you, Francisco, uh, and Polish. Um, in, in Russia, I, I mention it because it's quite amazing. When I was there, they were really dealing with the economic strains of being a, a burgeoning democracy. This is after the the mm -hmm. fall of the Soviet Union, and yet the, those kinds of economic stresses, and yet they viewed the value, they considered the audio description as an important part, as you mentioned, uh, Francisco, a human right. So they were willing to scrape up the dollars, government-wise or whatever, to at least begin pulling some, uh, some access to them, access uh, they, they take very seriously, even in a climate of, of difficult financial straits. Um, mm -hmm. So that, I think, is a, is a wonderful thing, too. So with that, I want to thank Diane and, 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 and uh, Bernd and Francisco and, and Nicolo and Shaquilla, and I'm going to give Francisco the last word. Um, just to uh, give uh, my web address in case uh, you people would like, uh, you know, it's just a baby web address, uh, <laughs> which is being born now, and I really uh, wish you could uh, all uh, help me uh, upbring it. Well, www.audiodescriptionworldwideconsortium.com. Worldwideconsortium.com. Soon it's going to be like uh, a short address, but that's the one uh, you guys are going to have that. So uh, I hope you all can, uh, you know, help us out, and that's going to be an issue for spreading the news of auto description. Thank you. Yeah. Good evening. Yes, well, you know, as soon as you type it in once, it'll just pop up in your browser. So, you know, hey, yeah, one time you got to... Um, yeah, there you go. The, um, I want to ask uh, our folks here, everybody, uh, it, it's been really quite wonderful, our experience in, in um, our experience, meaning the audio description project in mounting 
uh, these conferences. I think this is the fourth now that we've done. We've tried to do it every two years or so. Um, and it's, it's been a, we've managed to attract some wonderful talent, people from around the world who work in description. And I'd love to hear from you all um, uh, as we close things down here a little bit about, um, you know, what you think might, uh, what we could do further to enhance this, um, uh, what we could do differently, what was wonderful. Um, I would love to hear that. I, we don't have a formal evaluation just now for you to fill out. But, you know, hey, let's do it now. And just, just want to hear some of your thoughts, if, if you can take a second. Uh, I think it would help us a great deal. Uh, Lori. Thank you. Um, I just want to say thank you to everyone here because it's been so informative. There's been so much information. For those of us who've been just kind of in our little Midwest chunk here <laughs> for so long, it's really great to hear things that people reflect back that, that is work for them or different approaches. So it's always helpful um, to get that. I know for us as this little community of about, what I think it's currently six active describers covering so much, yeah. meeting every year and getting together and touching base and communicating with each other is really crucial. And I have been on the um, ADP listserv, yes. but I'm always wondering if there aren't, it, it, and, and are there more opportunities coming up with Facebook or things that can help us kind of talk to each other in real time because sometimes I'm looking at email and I have to kind of catch up. Yeah. And I'm wondering if there's ever going to be times they can set where people can... We, we have been thinking about that. We, we developed our Facebook page um, a couple of years ago and I think we have mm, 1,800 likes now, something like that. Jolyn, do you want to speak to that? Oh, okay. I thought you... You were just taking the microphone back. Um, <laughs> But that's a great idea. I mean, we do, you know, the, the listserv is kind of like in spurts. There's like a lot of discussion about something somebody said or this or that. Or, and then it goes dormant for like three months or whatever. Um, but yeah, I encourage you to <laughs> get some of that discussion going and get it percolating. Uh, we used to, uh, well, we used to have uh, good old, our good old Canadian friend Joe Clark populate the, uh, <laughs> the audio description listserv. And he always generated a lot of discussion, uh, enough said. Uh, <laughs> yeah, enough said, right. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, fin we'll fill you in on that. Uh, okay, never mind. Yes, right. <laughs> Valerie knows. Um, other thoughts about what else we might do? Uh, I, I honestly want to be certain uh, we're doing this in two years, in, uh, two years from now in St. Louis, that we try not to have this over a major American holiday. Uh, I think we would have, I heard that over and over from people. I, I honestly, we definitely would have had twice the people here. Um, ACB tends to have their convention at this time because it's cheaper. Uh, other people, you know, hotel people don't stay in hotels on July 4th. But if we can, I wanted even to switch it with our Audio Description Institute, which begins tomorrow, do the Institute first and then do the conference, and that just didn't work out. That's what Jane was going to suggest. Yeah, that didn't work out for uh, several reasons. But um, So that's certainly one, one thing for sure. Um, any, Mark, yeah, please. I, uh, I had a couple of things. I think you've done an excellent job in um, helping man and create the panels. It's been um, uh, really well thought out. I have to give a uh, double thumbs up to Susan for the mentoring. I think I got so much out of that. 
I'm, uh, I hear that over and over. I'm a fairly um, shy person myself, so I may not walk up to people yeah, here, sure but I'm like, yeah, that's true, shut up. Um, <laughs> but Andrea, is, uh, really, just walking around going to dinner, we, we, I got a lot of insight from her, and that was incredibly valuable. Um, I think the other thing that I might enjoy seeing in a, a panel, you have an active um, line with the internet. Maybe if we could have pulled up some of the sites that people were talking about so that oh, we could see them live. Okay, yes, 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 yes. It seems like we had a screen and we didn't use Actually, it. Actually, we could have much. done that, and you're absolutely right. Uh, yeah, when we so maybe, talk about a website, bring it up. Or in not necessarily uh, have somebody who is there who can do it for you so you aren't. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, that's, that's or to ask your panelists if they have a website that they'd like us to view uh, and look sure, at. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's a very good point. I'll tell you the first two years, the first two conferences we had, we had an, um, a virtual option. And we had not that many people take advantage of it, but in others, if you paid half the fee, you had a password and you could hook in to the conference electronically mm -hmm. in real time, contribute, speak, listen, whatever, that kind of thing. Um, we, we let that go because it just wasn't turning out to be that popular. But yes, that's great, the websites. Um, in fact, Diane, do you want to mention your web address, Descriptive Video Works and Barron? www.descriptivevideoworks.com and we're working on a new website that should be up and running soon, but the old one is still there. So. Well, the problem with our web page might be, this is in German, um, <laughs> but, well, I can, uh, yeah, well, don't do it, don't do it, please, don't do it. But, but uh, well, what you can try is, uh, I have a well, personal website which is in English, and this is www.benecke, that's my last name, dot info, I-N-F-O. Um, I think you can find it, I don't know, on, on, on a page of one of the last conferences. I think there's, oh, a, there's a link to that, yeah. Yeah. But there's some information on, on that page, and it's in English. And there's a little bit of advertising for my um, PhD, sorry. <laughs> Joel, I'm back here. Oh, yes. Is it possible that you could uh, compile a resource list of the different websites and just email it to the participants or have it somewhere where we can go get it? Well... It, it's a part of uh, what I distribute at the Audio Description Institute. When you take that training, we, we distribute those resources. I'm, I'm not finished. I'm not finished. You can also purchase from ACB or Amazon, whatever, the Visual Made Verbal. A oh, look at that. Somebody's got a copy right there. She, you, did you pick that up at ACB? Yeah. You're a sweetheart, Colette. Um, the, um, but... Um, since we've had a special request, let me see if I can't put something together uh, like that and send that out to everybody uh, via email. Yeah, Jolene. It could also go up on the ADP website. Oh, sure. Well, actually, that's what I, I started to mention when Varent uh, was speaking. Oh, a great deal of this is already up on the website. But I can check and see what's there, and if there's some things that are lacking, I can get it up there and even send it to you by via email, but yeah, the audio description project, uh, acb.org slash ADP, 
Uh, I think it is the go-to resource internationally for information about audio description, focused mainly on uh, the United States, but we're building up the work, uh, that, uh, the information that we have uh, internationally as well. So, uh, um, anything else? That yes, uh, Richard. Hello, microphone. Stay with me, Joe Lynn. Come on. <laughs> Our good friends have been recording a lot of this. Um, are, are we going to be able to get access to some of the recordings of, of oh, the proceedings? Yes, yes, that is definitely going to be on the website. Uh, we we have the proceeding recordings and written out proceedings uh, from all, all the other conferences we've had and from before uh, when we've done I've done these conferences at the, with the Kennedy Center in Washington twice actually and we have those proceedings on the website I know um, that's going back a little ways uh, into the 90s and early 2000s but yes the recordings will definitely be available can't promise how soon but yeah that's that's why we've had our wonderful friends uh, here part of ACB doing the recording so well then with that I want to thank you all for spending your holiday with us and and uh, you know I apologize for tearing you away from family and friends I know that J July 4th is a family-based holiday in this country in this country um, it, does Canada have a, a July 4th a Canada Day, of course. And I was talking to Baron. Would you say October third? Yeah, day, day of Germany. There you go. October third. September seventh in Brazil. Are you taking notes on all this? So you can you can tell your employers I can't work today. I have to celebrate Brazil's uh, Independence Day or something, whatever. But anyway, thank you all for coming and uh, stick around and chat with folks and. Uh, use the email list. Uh, we, we look forward to staying in touch. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joe. And Thank you, Shaquilla. There we go. I don't know what time it is in South Africa, but whatever. It was Say again. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's, yes, indeed. I will mention Jason by name, our, our monitor here for the recording of the sound uh, and the whole crew, yes. And we had uh, we had Debbie Hazel Debbie Hazelton earlier, and uh, Rick. I'm forgetting Rick's last name. Warren. Uh, Warren, yeah, Warren co coordinated the whole thing, so uh, uh, we appreciate that a great deal.